This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling and hey if you enjoy the show and want to get access to over a hundred pieces of bonus content including pay-per-view reviews from AEW and WWE as well as that our pay-per-view classic series or our most recent episode being World Bodybuilding Federation Year 2. Hooray! All this and more available for a $5 backing over at Patreon and if you have a podcast, a project, a YouTube series, a website, a product, a thing that you'd like to get in front of our lovely listeners. You can sponsor an upcoming episode. Spots are available now for 2022 in our upcoming episodes. Get in touch at HaiChiWrestling at gmail.com or for any and all information, patreon.com forward slash HaiChiWrestling. But for now, it's time to enjoy How To Andy Kaufman. Welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And today our journey through the world of wrestling takes a bit of a sideways detour as we talk about one of the first big celebrity involvements really getting his hands and feet wet into the world of wrestling as we're talking today about Andy Kaufman. Hey everyone, it's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin, joined as I am always in this educational look through all the many facets in the world of wrestling by my better half and co-host, Joe Graham. Hello. Hey Joe, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am, I'm really excited. I mean, usually in the PodCrabs extended podcast universe, Lots of work is undertaken to ensure that what we record in January makes us all feel happy and sunny inside. Mm -hmm. Now, I've just come after doing Highlander 2 for Cinema Swirl, Mm -hmm. so it is with great joy that I'm here today with you talking about one of my favourite people in comedy ever, and wrestling, I guess, by association, Andy Kaufman. Yeah. What do you know about uh, Andy Kaufman before we settle into our, our watching and our researching about this fellow? I know so little about him. I think definitely I, I first heard of Andy Kaufman back when I first met you and we first started dating and I stayed around your house one time and I had no pyjamas. Oh, like, yeah! Here you go, wear this. And it said, intergender women's world wrestling champion or something. And I was like, why do you have this? And you were like, oh, it's like kind of ironic. It's- I, I don't fight women. Yeah. I'm not a horrible misogynist. <laughs> you see, there's this satirical misogynist. From, from the, the 70s. 70s. <laughs> so it's okay. Uh- and suddenly I got this like... It, it, like ridiculous backstory about I mean because I didn't I think even was even watching wrestling at this point no I think I, I <laughs> you know we mentioned before I was very hesitant yeah. and ashamed to tell you that I was doing a wrestling podcast yet alone the fact that I was even a wrestling fan but pajamas and staying over necessitated <laughs> you to find out quite early about this big name. Your pajamas outed you Pretty as, a, much. as a wrestling fan. <laughs> I don't think I still have that intergender wrestling champion shirt knocking around. I was thinking about it literally only the other day, actually, because I was like, oh, I wish I could wear it because it's a really cool shirt. But yeah, I think it, it. I think it got a bit old and gross and we had to throw it away. Yeah, it was one of those things like, you know, it was the equivalent in my mid-twenties of my CCCP t-shirt I had for PE when I was 13 years old. Wow, I can't believe they let you wear that. I Well, 
you know, I was I was kind of uh, sternly advised against it. I even made my first year project be about communism, and even wow. still, I had to take the shirt off. But the Andy Kaufman Intergender Championship, I mean, I was always a fan of him, like, as a comedian, you mm. know, and I knew that he was in wrestling because... There was a big movie that hung over my life. It was one of my f- absolute favorites, which was was Man on the Moon, mm. which was a movie that was a biography of this this comedian and this performer. I mean, he didn't like being called a comedian, I guess. But, oh, really? I mean, yeah, he considered himself a, a performance artist, which really I think today would be really interesting as we're looking at this guy who tried to blur the lines between comedy and wrestling and just, you know, kind of what wrestling could even be to the mass audience. Mm. I think we'll get into a little bit of that, you know, wrestling is performance art chat that seems to crop up here now and then. When did you see that movie? Because, I mean, I don't want to say that, I want to say off the off the bat, this isn't going to be like just about man and the moon. We're going to actually no. try and avoid that if, if most as possible because, you know, we could just talk about what a piece of shit Jim Carrey is. Yeah, we'll get the, distracted. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it in a little bit, but we don't want to just talk about that. But did we watch that early on then? Was that like... No, I think we watched that about three or four years ago. Right. And I can't remember why we watched it. I think it was on something we were like, yeah, let's let's watch that. Check it out. Check it out. And you didn't, you obviously at that point, you knew some of the figures who were involved in his wrestling world. I mean, Jerry the King Lawler, for yes. instance, was one that came up. Unfortunately familiar with Jerry the King Lawler, yes. So, you know, at that point, was it like shocking to you when you saw that movie then to, to find out the extent that it wasn't just, oh, this guy was involved in wrestling, but he was involved with... I mean, figures in wrestling that you would have been at least somewhat familiar with at that Mm. point. I mean, it was surprising in a way because I assumed that his involvement in wrestling would be a lot more like regional and territorial based because, of course, back in the 70s, that's what wrestling kind of was. It was all like, you know, territorial based. And I just always assume when I think about wrestling in the 70s and the territories that like... You know, there are all these like old men who have names like Dick the Duke Monster. <laughs> Dick or, the Duke Monster was over in the territory, Joe. How dare you? You know, like these these like old men who were like legends of their time, but like you never really hear about now. I didn't expect it to be someone I actually knew of and was still like, you know, not still wrestling, but still involved in wrestling. Right, yeah. And when you think of like kind of regional wrestling stuff like that, was it was it a shock to you to find it like kind of that it was big, like, you know, we're talking tens of thousands of people would flock to the regional wrestling back in the day. I think at that point we had done our episode on, what was it, on Vince McMahon. Oh, right, yeah, of course. So I was a little bit more educated at that point that the regional wrestling territories were very big. Yeah, a little bit bigger than Vince McMahon will probably uh, have you believe. Yeah. So Andy Kaufman, we have looked at almost his entire wrestling career, which... You know, I'll admit, you know, my knowledge of this was something that was was patchy at best. So I want to have a big shout out to everyone who sent in fabulous emails and messages and tweets, etc., who helped us with our research for that. I have been absolutely giddy watching all of this Kaufman stuff in the last few days. It is probably maybe the giddiest I've ever been in the month of January <laughs> in as long as I can remember. But we also spent a bit of time looking at Andy's work as a comedian. Hmm. And he obviously, we mentioned at the start, the term comedian wasn't something that he was necessarily very comfortable with. So, I mean, could you describe the comedy, in inverted commas, of one Andy Kaufman for the audience? It's weird. It's very weird. So he basically, I mean, he's got a few different bits that he does, but one of the bits that he would do, I think this was one of the ones that kind of like got him 
successful in the first instance was he would do celebrity impressions. Right. But he would come out and he would put on this really weird little voice and I can't do it very well. And he would do really bad celebrity impressions. And the kind of like the, the, the joke would be this guy sucks. He's so bad at this. Yeah, because you, you said, like, you're weird, which, you know, if you're talking in comedy circles and they're like, oh, check out this next act, they're weird, man. You know, buckle up. Yeah. That's something that's just, like, it's thrown around so much. And, like, I remember so many times performing in stand-up and watching while I was performing in stand-up. And, like, if I'd be, like, I got introduced once on stage, like, this next guy is pretty fucking weird. Get ready. And I'm like, what? Because like... I feel these days people try so hard to be weird rather yeah. than, you know, I think one of the beauties of the 70s is that you had genuinely, authentically, very strange, unusual, unique people. And we had who... like mass media, but not to the extent that we have it now or even in the 80s or the 90s. No, but I feel in the 70s there was a lot more bravery with regards to like trying new things and daring to be different and yeah. things like that. and. You know, it's just interesting because I don't think someone like Andy Kaufman could exist in today's comedian circuits. Like, if they no. did, they wouldn't be a mainstream performer. They would be, you know, like a... They'd have their, like, you know, independent web series or something. It'd yeah, be more definitely. Niche. But anyway, I, I just want to finish my explanation of his performance. Of because I don't want to make it seem like he just came out and did a few shit impressions <laughs> and that was it. And then he wrestled Jerry Lawler yeah. in Memphis, baby. <laughs> because the idea is he does these terrible performances and impressions. And then he's like, now I'm going to do Elvis. And he turns around and he starts, like, pulling off bits of his outfit. And he, like, turns into Elvis and then he turns around and he just literally, he just is Elvis. And he's like the most amazing. Like, I, I've seen a lot of Elvis impersonators. Didn't really get it, to yeah. be honest. I'm not a massive Elvis fan. You even seen Jim Carrey being Andy Kaufman being Elvis. And didn't yeah, as I was much like, as, eh. as the actual real deal. And even like Elvis himself, he never really like sang to me in like a special way. I didn't get the appeal. But seeing Andy Kaufman be Elvis, <laughs> immediately I was like, oh, this is why people love Elvis. You were, you were pretty much stone cold calling him a hunk. Oh, yeah, he is a hunk. He's, he's super honky. He's he's a handsome man. He's hot. That outfit he wears, those flares. Let's bring back those flares for men, please. I want to see more of those flares. Well, there's a wrestler called the Honky Tonk Man. No! So you're just gonna hear Go away. Get off the podcast. <laughs> Disgusting. It, it is a really interesting kind of take on, on comedy because, you know, I, I love I love stand up I love comedy I think it's you know it's it's one of my favorite things in the world you know I, I often forget that oftentimes what I'm meant to be doing is teaching people about wrestling or anything like that mm. and I just want to try and make you laugh instead and that is actually to my not to my benefit sometimes but like Andy's idea of comedy is it's a much more like wholesale view of the idea of entertainment mm. and it's a lot more wrestling than I think people realize like I think mm. Andy Kaufman was of a wrestler's mindset long before he laced up a pair of boots and started challenging women to to take him on in the ring for a thousand dollars this idea that the sum total of whether or not your show has been successful is not necessarily how many laughs you've gotten or the frequency by which you get applause or mm. anything like that it's your ability to manipulate emotions and take people on a journey yeah and long before you know wrestling was even in his stratosphere andy kaufman was trying to elicit responses from an audience 
by making them frustrated, making them angry, making them desperate for something to happen, for literally a hot tag to Elvis to come in and yeah. run wild. And then people like when we watched the we watched them do the Elvis thing a few times, people weren't laughing. They were cheering and clapping. Oh, and you know, like, it's, it's not just diff- they yeah. were like they were going, Woo! And like it was literally like Elvis himself was there gyrating. Like there were screams from women in the crowd who were like it sounded like they were fainting. Yeah. And stuff. And it, it's kind of interesting to to go, right, I'm not gonna go for laughs necessarily. I'm not gonna try and like, you know, and give you the little the punchline. The punchline. Yeah. Instead, I'm actually gonna try and upset you or just make you out of sorts mm. and then bring you into a place of pure joy, which is, you know, it's an odd an odd place to go. Even nowadays, if you said like you know, comedians who you know are influenced by Andy Kaufman, if that was what they were gonna do and stand up and do a stand-up set. It wouldn't work like that. I don't think it could no. work like that. I think as well because fans are a lot more analytical now, I think, than they used yeah. to be. Like, the best example I can think of of someone who's, um, like, very influenced by Andy Kaufman would be Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington. Yeah, yeah. With their their versions of stand-up comedy where they do, like, very horrible stand-up, basically. Yeah, characters, basically, where yeah. you're watching this person crash and burn. Mm. But unlike Kaufman, their fans are kind of in on the joke. Oh, for the 100%. Most part. Yeah. yeah, everyone's keyed in and they yeah. know exactly what's happening. It's like, so, it's like people who were watching Alan Partridge back in yeah, the day. Yeah, exactly. You're watching a train wreck, but you're in on it. Imagine watching like Alan Partridge, but people aren't in on the joke. Yeah. And they're watching this professional, apparently, squirm and fail. Mm. That's an awfully awkward position to be in as an audience member. And then you get other comedians like Stuart Lee who almost intentionally try to engineer an environment wherein that happens. Like, Stuart Lee, he performed in Salford a few years back, and it was obviously full of his fans. Like, it was it was liberal people. Yeah, like, we and the rest of the class. liberal intelligentsia, yeah. <laughs> we put down our champagne for a second and we went to the theatre in Salford to see Stu. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, it was good because everyone was, like, enjoying themselves and having a good time. But Stuart Lee, as you said yourself, is at his best when he's, like, performing in, like, The Engine Shed in Lincoln where people don't really know about his comedy and yeah, his style. Yeah, half the audience left and it was probably the best comedy gig I've ever been to in my yeah, life. Yeah, and actually his form of comedy thrives in those sort of dangerous environments. And there is a feeling as well when you you think you're in on the joke. Mm. And I'm sure there were people like that when Kaufman was performing, where like, because you would hear there's always like the three or four people who are just in non-stop hysterics. And how annoying that must be if you don't get the joke and you've come and you're like, I'm out to the comedy show, but why is this guy? Like, Kaufman would would say nursery rhymes. He would do like, you know, Old MacDonald had a farm. He'd read The Great Gatsby. Sometimes the shows, there wouldn't be the punchline in there. You know, it would just actually end up being that he would do this long, you know, joyless enterprise just so that next time maybe someone would say, oh, I saw this guy before and he doesn't do any, you know, this is what happens. Mm. There's a kind of a word of mouth, a legend that could kind of grow around him. Mm. That like, I think, yeah, maybe in the, is it is it because of the, the internet and stuff like that that that's maybe not possible? anymore because people are too clued in i guess maybe that's it or maybe it's a case of like you know now we have so much information at our hands and people do so many interviews and i don't think celebrities have the same private lives the way they would have done in the 70s so that comedians their influences are very well established yeah you go and see someone like tim heidecker pretending to be bad at stand-up and you know if you're a fan of his who he's influenced by so you're probably already familiar with 
you know, the history of where that sort of form of comedy has come from. And almost every comedian these days, even if there are comedians who, you know, turn their back on the you know social media mm. and the kind of the standard ways in which comedians are unfortunately expected to market themselves mm. these days, you can pick any comedian that we've mentioned there or anyone who kind of tries to do something a little bit different. And there's going to be a two or three hour, you know, shoot interview with them out there where they kind yeah. of talk about it or they've written extensively about it. Kaufman, in his brief life, managed to have this air of kind of inscrutability about mm. him where no one really knew what his actual process was. And for one reason or another, that legend has kind of never really went away, even though there's been a lot of people, you know, writing partners, family members, etc., who've tried very hard to keep the legend alive in its own way. He described himself as a kid that he was a, a sad kid and that his parents sent him to psychologists constantly really? because they thought that kids shouldn't be sad. Okay. You know, he would perform in front of you know his toys. He would do these like long kind of you know late night monologues and stuff like that. <laughs> Sweet. And then like you know he had his his brothers and sisters were born. He would perform to them, and then they would have to go outside and play. And he just stand staring at the living room, like staring at everyone, like day in day out. Mm. So like it's obvious that Andy was um, you know different in 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 a, in a very literal sense of the word. Mm. And, you know, from my experience, I could say comedy can be a very welcoming place if you feel a bit different, mm. but also can be probably one of the loneliest places in the world. Yeah. Because I try to, and I'm by no means trying to like draw any sort of actual comparisons, skills there otherwise, because I'm not a very good stand-up comedian in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> but I tried to do, and a lot of my friends when we were doing stand-up, we tried to do that, like, oh, let's do the anti-comedy. Like, we'll do something that'll make people go, huh? And like, pull their mm. hair out. And let me tell you, there's no lonelier place in the world than being up on stage if you done a fake comedy bit to mm. try and, you know, I don't know, you don't even know what the reaction you want to get is. Mm. You just realise, you you know, I've stood up on a stage in the engine shed in Lincoln covered in flour thinking I was doing a very funny bit and no one laughed. Yeah. And that's a lonely feeling. And that's the thing as well, <laughs> is that like, I think a lot of people who put on acts like that, yeah. who aren't authentically different in yeah. that particular way, like socially... There's this yearning, isn't there, to be liked by people. I think we all have that as humans. And when you're performing a character like that, it's very tempting to go, but I'm not really like that. I promise yeah, yeah, I'm actually yeah. normal and nice. But if you are actually... The punchline is, I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> but if you are genuinely, authentically weird, like Kaufman obviously is, or seems to be at least... He's not going to then come forward and go, I'm actually not like that. Yeah. And I don't know if it's a case of that, like, he realised it would undervalue his own work or if it was a case that he didn't want to do that because he's not, you know, he's not not like that. He is like that, yeah. as you were saying. And does the world of wrestling then seem like kind of somewhere that would have obvious to lure that? Because he said that, it is, you know, the comedians and Kaufman obviously have that thing inside them where they kind of want to be liked or whatever. Mm. But Kaufman, it seemed that his great joy in wrestling, always, and when he came into it, this was his laser focus, was to be hated. <laughs> that was his ultimate goal. Mm. Can you understand or like explain why you think that that reaction still kind of gives the same kind of endorphins or the same feelings or whatever it is? I mean, it's a reaction, isn't it? Yeah. I think, you know, different things drive people in different ways. I don't know enough about Andy Kaufman as a human being and as a real person to know if he got more enjoyment out of winding people up or if he got more enjoyment out of the idea that people didn't know 
what to think of him. Yeah, I mean, you're you're an old you're an older sibling, so you have to know the joy of winding people up. Oh, right? that's, I'm that's, such a wind up merchant. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah, the rule yeah, if yeah. you're an older sibling, it right? Is, yeah, it is. What's it like? <laughs> it's a great burden, really. <laughs> Because it's really hard not to just take advantage. You, you have to teach yourself to, to just calm down. Well, thank you for not winding me up all the time. I, I do really wind you up all that. the time, actually. I'm very easily wound up as I am. So <laughs> we checked out a documentary that tried to kind of compress and make sense of the surprisingly complex story of Andy Kaufman mm. in the world of wrestling because Kaufman in wrestling is a lot more than the the one match or the one scene or two that you see in Man on the Moon with Jim Carrey his involvement kind of went on for a good few years including having a, a short movie made with classy Freddie Blassie uh, feuding with Jerry the King Lawler feuding with Jimmy Hart and even at one point it was pointed out to me by a fan he actually was interviewed by a very 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 young Vince McMahon Jr. in 1979. Yeah, he was front row in a WWWF show, which was Hmm. Vince's dad's territory in New York. And he was interviewed by Vince about, you know, what his his role was as the intergender wrestling champion. And you can tell that Vince is literally rolling his eyes through the entire interview. He thinks this guy is like, what are we doing this for? This is ridiculous. So, you know, do you think he actually thinks that though, or do you think he realised that his job as the interviewer was oh, to be to, the straight man? That's true, to, to be the eye roller. Because yeah. like, it, I don't think Andy would have been as funny as he was if you had someone just going, "Ha ha ha ha, that's hilarious," or, "Oh yeah, you're yeah, right there, brother." Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it's the fact that you've got these people going, "Huh." What? <laughs> and apparently Vince Sr. didn't think much of Andy Kaufman. Uh, yeah, that know, doesn't surprise he me. He <laughs> let him into the show. They did an interview or whatever. Andy but... Kaufman's too modern. Okay, that's it, I think. You know, this, this is, but, you know, this is you know, the era when wrestling promoters wouldn't have wanted Hulk Hogan to be in Rocky Three. The idea of this cross-promotion was somehow, you know, these eyeballs in the business is really, really bad. So, sorry, the what he didn't like about him wasn't Andy himself. It was Hollywood's Hollywood involvement. Hollywood yeah, like right. literally Hollywood, no, we don't need those Hollywood types. And he, he literally came, you know, at the height of his popularity in, in the late 70s because he was on a TV show called Taxi, which, you know, probably hasn't endured in the same way as shows like Cheers and stuff have. But like Taxi was one of the biggest shows in the world at the time, hmm. especially in America. And Andy was in that. Andy was in that. Andy's... And was that, sorry, I just don't know anything about that. No, show. that's cool. Was it a comedy? Yeah, was, yeah, it was it a, a drama? It was a comedy. Much like, you know, Cheers, it was a character ensemble cast, live right. studio audience. And he was cast as the, you know, he was meant to be the Fonzie character, the breakout star. He was Latka, who was, you know, that foreign man voice that he did. It just became the character. And he had his catchphrase of, you know, thank you very much. And he was the guy. Well, they just nicked it. Oh, yeah. It was like, you know, the, the part was written for him, basically. Right, I see. Because his manager, and you were asking me, like, all throughout when we were doing all this, you were just like, why? How did he get, like, how did he get into this world? Because, like, I love Andy Kaufman's comedy. Yeah. But I realised that a lot of the comedy I like is very niche. Like, like you know, I was mentioning Tim and Greg, like, I love their show on cinema. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's you know, it's quite popular. It's not for everyone. But it's though. not mainstream. Yeah, yeah. And you certainly couldn't go, like, I couldn't show that to my parents and expect them to understand it. Like, there requires a level of understanding mm. of certain things to get into it. And it just seems like Andy Kaufman's stand-up is so much, like, almost a joke for himself that you feel like you're not in on. Yes. And it's just, like, I, I can't imagine, you know, <laughs> talent scouts in the 70s going, 
here's this comedy that's really weird and I don't understand, but I'm going to sign this guy and he's going to be massive. It was basically um, his man, like the guy who, who signed him, George Shapiro, was pretty much a kingmaker. Like even in the late 70s, he was a kingmaker in terms of, you know, taste for comedy in Hollywood. There was a sense that tastes were changing, you know, 70s, I think, you know, we, we lived through the 70s, but, you know, my parents always told me the 70s was a lot less neon and technical and happy friendly. Like, it was quite a dark time, mm. you know, uh, for, for a lot of people, particularly in America, you know, Vietnam War and whatnot, the, the general anger in the world. So comedy was changing. And I think it was just literally a case of, here's someone who's doing something really, really different, mm. very confidently. They have a very laser focused idea of what it is. So they made him a star pretty much yeah. you know he got onto that taxi show and all of a sudden he goes from singing nursery rhymes and he's you know a very very big name and kind of trying to parlay that into wrestling it seems kind of obvious for him because he was such a he was such a fan like you know that was the thing about andy he was this massive super fan but the wwwf didn't want to have that because the idea was is that well if you have celebrities coming in and not just to be like hey there's a celebrity everyone wave to the celebrity them mm -hmm. to actually take part which is what he wanted to do that's exposing the business and, you know we've we've had this in other episodes roddy piper trying to you know fucking main mr t and you know people mm -hmm. keeping the celebrities our wrestling brother and all that yeah because you know we didn't know then that bad bunny was going to come in and redefine <laughs> what it means to be the a celebrity prophecy <laughs> of the chosen one bad bunny so we checked out I'm From Hollywood, which is this amazing documentary about Andy Kaufman, which a lot of our American fans have told us used to be basically played on repeat on Comedy Central back in the day. Right. Like they would have three or four specials. So like a lot of people were very familiar with this documentary. And the documentary opens up with Andy basically being killed by Jerry the King Lawler as you have newscasters just kind of giggling about it, really. At this point, when they're showing us this news footage of what ultimately happens to Andy when he comes up against Jerry the King Lawler, did you kind of view it that people, like the newscasters, everyone thought wrestling was fake and it was a work, or do you think they were treating it like it was real? Neither, really. It's weird, it, isn't it? It, yeah. felt, it felt very strange, because you said that this film is actually done in kayfabe. Yeah, they tried to kind of keep it like... You know, Andy has real motivations to want to wrestle and, you know, earnest and all that. And it's like, it's very... I hate to keep referring back to, like, Tim and Greg, but genuinely, it's like, it, it reminds me so much of that because it's, it's like... It's like a meta-reality of, yeah, you know what I mean? You, yeah, you don't know what is real and what's not real. It's and like, very fucking wrestling. It's very know? wrestling, yeah. And but the like, people they choose to interview yeah. in it are all along for the ride. Like, they interviewed some of the members of Taxi who were just, like, normal actors, yeah. just, like answering questions it seems like for real but then you've got interviews with like robin williams and he my god if robin williams wasn't a wrestling fan my god like surely he was though, that right was, like, he, he gets so it. in on it he's like. so in it, like and he starts out the document can you call this a documentary the kayfabe documentary I what do you even call this it's a happening ladies and right <laughs> that's what they used to call it anytime <laughs> something weird with coffee it's a happening it's the 70s it's okay but robin williams <laughs> he starts off and he takes it so seriously and it really does feel like one of those dark documentaries you know where you know, he, he seems almost depressed, Robin does, as he talks to the camera, like, and he's got this very low voice and he's just talking about, like, very matter-of-fact things. Happened, you know, Kaufman and, went into the ICU. Yeah, His this, wrestling that, career is over. His, his Hollywood career is probably over. But then there were moments where I was so confused because I was like, oh, okay, so they've just, like, you know, the story is kayfabe, but the interviews are real. But then there were moments where Robin Williams goes into kayfabe as if it's real. Yeah. 
And he starts like making up his own backstory for the character of Andy Kaufman and like adding to it as well. And yeah, it was just like, it was so fascinating to me as a big fan. The original group wiki project, basically. They're all adding to the lore here. I just have such a soft spot for that type of, not just comedy, but like creativity. The idea of like fiction and and real life and you don't know which where the line is is drawn and it is you know it is masterful because you know this this documentary came out in like 89 or whatever but i would i would say it does an amazing job if you're kind of folk like myself who you know knew who kaufman was was a fan of his comedy had seen you know his sketches and clips and that and they'd seen man on the moon and that's how they kind of understood his career and whatnot and i think they did a very good job somehow it like kind of presupposing what the stories of Andy would be after his death and then kind of flipping it on its head a little bit. Mm. Because they presented very rationally and plainly why Andy decided to go from, you know, doing bongo drums and playing, you know, Tony Clifton, this kind of weird heel character that he would play. Well, because his comedy character, if you can call it a character, is a heel. Oh, Tony Clifton is a wrestling manager. Oh, I don't even mean Tony Clifton. <laughs> I mean Andy Kaufman as a comedy performer. Right, yeah, yeah. Because of the way he performs, like he does the silly little voice that winds everyone up and then he plays the bongos and reads poetry and stuff. Like, he is antagonising the audience. Definitely. He's playing a heel. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's kind of getting on people's nerves almost. Yeah, and it's obvious that like he enjoyed doing that so much he was like okay so what can i get into to do that like way more i think like tony clifton is the first like kind of the first stop along that train which eventually arrives at the station of andy's full-blown wrestling and he's in he's in memphis calling people hicks because let's be honest as well playing a villain oh it's cathartic it's so fun oh my god so much more fun than playing a hero or a good person it's like creatively fulfilling you get to like push yourself and try things that you would never otherwise do like i i try and do a little bit of character work here and there on podcasts i guest on and I'm not very good at it. It's, it's so hard to do, but I have such admiration for people who do it really well. I mean, it, you know, the only times I can kind of kind of relate to that were, you know, I did the, I got to be like a wrestling heel character when um, Fight Like Apes did like a wrestling show in like 2008, wherever it was, and they needed like a mouthpiece. So I did my kind of best Joel Gertner impression. Had my, you know, I was very inspired by Kaufman as well. I had my neck brace on and everything. And just be able to come out and just you know make fun of everyone and not worry about any of the consequences because I had like you know I had a big wrestler beside me I thought I'm fine I can say mm. and do whatever I want to it's very freeing it's very liberating I I was in a, a school play I was in the field and I was playing the Bull McCabe who was the 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 big man in town who would bang on the table and be very intimidating and gruff and I'm going to kill the English and all that and a teacher went up to me right beforehand and went you're supposed to be intimidating and I was like oh I'm going to fucking show I'm going to show everyone now and I, I nearly broke the set I was banging stuff so hard and it was the most liberating experience what a dangerous ever. thing to say to a teenager you've just been through a growth spurt as well <laughs> like you know you really want to like you, you want to try and push that teenager Bang. into being more angry yeah like I, I nearly killed the guy playing the English guy for real <laughs> like you know it was, it was so like the Tony Clifton character and like there are so many clips of him where like people have thought they're coming out to see Andy Kaufman who the guy is like hey he does the funny bit on Taxi I'm going out to see the Fonz tonight he's going to go hey and hit a jukebox and instead Mm. we got this pot-bellied dour monster who just screams shut up every two seconds but he was on Taxi as well right Tony Clifton and this is very goddamn wrestling 
one of the stipulations for Andy Kaufman to sign his contract with Taxi with Taxi because of course if you're a no-name weirdo comedian who's been given the opportunity of a lifetime now's the time to play hardball so yeah so, sorry at this point he wasn't like he wasn't a, like a, a national star no, no, no. he wasn't like a re- renowned he would have been, been known on the circuits and stuff like that as a stand-up comedian right but, but this, this is his breakout this is definitely his breakout role right so the, the, the stipulations were he had to have you know space to do his transcendental meditation which he talks very very seriously which sounds like it would be a joke and it's not no 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 that that was a, a big part of of his of his life and his balance and all that mm. other stipulations he had in his contract seriously like big show here with his ironclad contract and all the stipulations but his other stipulation was that he would only be on like a certain amount of episodes so he got like you know as every- brock lesnar yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he only shows up for the big times, brother. You know, Kaufman doesn't do Chattanooga, you know. And then his other one was that his good friend, the great entertainer and superstar, Tony Clifton of Las Vegas fame, the great lounge singer, everyone knows Tony Clifton. God be with the days in the 70s when you could say something like, everyone knows this person I've just made up. And, the, and then the people would be like, yeah, we, we do. Yeah, here's a contract, an actual contract for Tony yeah. Clifton, separate to Andy Kaufman. I mean, Tony Clifton as a name is genius because it does sound like, you know, it just sounds familiar. Sounds like someone you've heard of. Sounds like of. Andy Kaufman. Tony Clifton, Andy Kaufman. I mean, Kaufman. kind it's of, but like, there. Un- unlike Andy Kaufman, which I feel is like, that's quite a unique name in a way. Like Kaufman, I don't feel I've heard many yeah. people with that surname. Whereas like Tony Clifton, I feel like I have heard of some singer called Tony Clifton. <laughs> or, vaguely, like, yeah. And, and when you see him as well, he looks exactly like he should be called Tony Clifton. Oh yeah, Tony Clifton. Like, oh yeah, that's that old yeah. horrid guy who does uh. the circuits. And Yeah, I'm pretty sure my dad <laughs> likes him or something. I mean, Vic Foley didn't even get separate contracts when he was doodling love cactus jacket band kind but yeah. here we are on taxi well ahead of the curve is, is andy kaufman and of course then when tony clifton you know in real life he did show up on set you know once with sex workers when he's meant to guest star on an episode you know drunk you know smashing bottles breaking windows dancing on taxis so tony clifton did get fired from taxi and then andy kaufman showed up the next day for work and did people realize tony clifton was andy kaufman they were like you know 80 percent sure but like, you know, it's just one of these things like, what do you do? It's just like, ah, it's Andy, you know, like he's, he's the kind of, he's the gorilla in the room type of thing, you right. know, like we just have to kind of put up with him. Half people are kind of putting up with him and going along with it. And some people think, well, it's putting up with it and going along with it. That's the joke, isn't it? Mm. And the thing is, is that my only understanding of it is I don't think there was an ultimate goal with him with any of this comedy to make you feel a very specific thing. He just wanted you to go through a series mm. of emotions. To feel some things, yeah. Yeah, he wanted you to be out of sorts, mm. you know. Why he wanted that, who who knows? The Tony Clifton stuff makes me think a lot about a lot of the asshole actors of today. Oh, like yeah. Jared Leto and people like that. You can just imagine if if contracts weren't so ironclad now. That's the thing. Like, the 70s, <laughs> obviously, totally different time. But you can just imagine if there were space in, to do things like that, that people like Jared Leto would totally take the piss. Can you imagine like what he would do if he like had an alter ego who was allowed imagine, to be an asshole? Like, you hear about wrestlers who let their characters kind of get to their heads a little bit. You know, mm. we, we talked about in the Flair episode, very obvious example of someone whose character and the real life person maybe owing to a lack of a sense of who he actually was, the character kind of took over his persona full mm. time, you know. I don't know though if it's it's ever been kind of like any times that's happened in wrestling where someone's kind of character has ended up kind of coming out for real or whatever it is or they're playing the character to wind people up. It's always told as like a tragic thing on the behalf of the wrestler like oh the poor wrestler they've lost themselves they think they're this is real you know, mm. they've worked themselves into a shoot. Whereas I don't think Andy Kaufman ever lost any sleep at night 
making people wonder about Tony Clifton or what the actual well, goal or the reality was of the situation was. I think that's because there was such a hard line between Andy Kaufman and Tony Clifton as as you know people and characters. Whereas mm. in wrestling, you are expected to play an exaggerated version of yourself, and it's not like you have. Um, like a different version of you who is like, you know, Tony Clifton looks totally different from Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Like you see those two people on the street and you don't think there's the same guy. That's true. Whereas yeah. if you see, you know, a Cactus Jack and Mick Foley on the street, you go, there's that guy, but he's in a different t-shirt. <laughs> he's got barbed wire on his forearm. That's Cactus yeah. Jack. I know like him anyway. <laughs> Ric Flair, you know, living the gimmick. He's still just Ric Flair. He's because it is him. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like it is, when we say it's very wrestling, it almost feels like it's that older style of wrestling because there is an element of secrecy and kind of subterfuge and stuff with the characters that he did or, that like, I don't think exists anymore. Well, I think it kind of can exist, but like it, it almost it's like it's it's very old fashioned and very modern at the same time. Mm. Like I think of like El Generico yeah. as kind of being like the the good version, the like the the face version of like the Tony Clifton type right, yeah, yeah, alter yeah. ego. In that technically El Generico and this is the first time I'm going to break kayfabe <gasps> on this podcast. Skip ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's such a hard line between El Generico and Sami Zayn. And Sami Zayn has never come out and said, I am El Generico. And El Generico has never come out and said, I am Sami Zayn. Well, that would never happen though, would it, Charles? Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But also like the fans are kind of like, they're in on it and they continue the joke. So I think like that, that kind of Tony Clifton mentality, that idea of you know, deliberate, like, not just kind of like, I'm doing something that could be interpreted as antagonistic, to do something that is just straight up, like, I am here to antagonize. Mm. I think you you can't get to going on Saturday Night Live and calmly announcing to everyone that you're going to start wrestling women now, and this is your new gimmick. Mm. And hey, if anyone in the audience wants to challenge me, it started off at $500, and then it came to $1,000, and the next stipulation was he'd shave his head bald if he could do it. And like, Saturday Night Live, which... You and I have cringed through the last few years if there's ever been clips of it that have gotten it. Oh, God, let me tell you, I don't need to see any more crappy Joe Biden impressions or crappy Donald Trump impressions. Mm. I have enough to do me for the rest of my life. I don't need to see Elon Musk doing fucking stand-up mm. or, or skits or anything like that. But it is odd, even on that show, that I don't have very high regard for, to think that they let one of their feature performers quite aggressively run on these big, long, misogynistic rants about his rational explanation in his words about why he wanted to wrestle women. Mm. And I don't know what your thoughts are on Andy Kaufman being like, well, look, you know. You know I the, got worked. The, 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 the men, you know, they're bigger than me. The women, they're much smaller, they're much weaker. So, I, you know, I think it's only fair because I'm smaller that I should wrestle the women. You That's know? the stuff I didn't really mind. It was like him. It, he's such a good actor. He, he would go on to be like, you know, I just think that... Um, you know, women, their, their place isn't in the ring. You know, that's that's not the right place for them. And they should be in the kitchen making babies and making me a sandwich. And, and you know, I just think that's because, you know, they are weaker and, you know, they have smaller brains. And, and he's just saying this stuff so matter-of-factly. Like, no, 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 but they do. And he's yeah. saying it in a very, like, if he was talking about, you know, bread, you'd be like, <laughs> what a nice, reasonable man. But he's talking about, like, horrible sexist attitudes. In the late but, 70s as well. Yeah. Right, you know? And it's difficult because, like, you know, 15 years ago, I feel that those sexist attitudes were quite mainstream. Like, you know, go to the kitchen and make me a sandwich was, like, a meme for so long mm. for, like, 
like our generation. Because ironic misogyny is okay, apparently. Well, I don't know how ironic it really was. I don't was. think it was at all, no. But like, it, it's, so it's, it's, it's extra interesting, I think, to watch it now because I feel that era of misogyny was less ironic than Andy Kaufman's era of misogyny in the yeah. 70s because like it's all very well and easy for us in you know 2020 to go oh back in the day they were all a lot more sexist but the truth is it's that still shocking back in the 70s oh no absolutely yeah. but also that feminism has come in kind of waves and it's not yeah. it's not a steady line of progress you know there's been progress and then there's been you know anti-progress has been and steps backwards groups think what, what some groups can view, convey as progress other groups view as, as being detrimental and all exactly. that exactly you know, yeah and actually in the grand scale of of you know the last century the 70s was in a way quite a progressive time for oh, women's yeah, rights i would have thought so for sure which yeah. is why i think it was so effective like i think it worked better that he was doing that in the 70s than say like i don't think he could have gotten away with that in the in the 80s or the 90s because no. i think genuinely in some ways society was more sexist then yeah it, it kind of felt like you know in the 90s and there was no shortage of instances of of men in the 90s in the attitude era of doing the kind of misogynistic chauvinistic gimmick and stuff yeah. like that but there was always this kind of sense where it's like, ah, you know, that feminism stuff. You said like a women's liberal from the 70s. Yeah. Like it was this thing that had come and gone. And now we're back to men have men have decided now that we're going to go back to normal yeah. and yeah. back to being misogynistic mm-hmm. for, for the yucks and all that. But, you know, there is an earnestness, it feels, in his attempts to show himself at the same time as being like, it is quite resting because he is say look at me i'm fucking i'm a pipsqueak i'm a weakling mm. you know but no, i'll still beat women i can still beat the women you know and all he, women by he, the way <laughs> he would go between being like very sullen and being like no 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 it's because you know i think it's important for well you know with women to know that i i would beat them all mm. it's just it's, it's one of and then other times he'd be like you know the women should go in there and they should you know you're making the babies like the amount of times where he would just switch into just like hateful gibberish yeah literally like older sibling teasing younger sibling yeah and you have like robert williams in this documentary like he it's kind of something that i suspected would have happened and i think it's one of the reasons why he got away with it is because kaufman was difficult to understand you'd have all these like very highbrow arts critics being like "Mm, what what andrew's doing is so 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 uh, genre shattering and so 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 outside the box and so very interesting and then he'd start doing this shtick and like five seconds later they'd be like kill him get him yeah. kill him you know they'd be get riled up it's you almost know? like he really doesn't want anyone to have a grasp on what he's doing yes because i think if you try and explain andy kaufman wanting to wrestle a load of women on tv as solely being some sort of highbrow you know, post-feminism uh, kind of commentary. That's not very wrestling, is I, it? I don't think it is. I think it is him kind of more reading the temperature of society mm. and doing something he knows is going to get people riled up because people were cheering his old acts that he used to use to wind people up and I think he'd moved on to the next thing. And it again reminds me of Stuart Lee, who when he is in, like, say, performing in London... He will deliberately try and make the liberal crowds that love him turn against him. Yes. By like manipulating the audience in a particular way. And it's very easy to manipulate an audience into thinking that you're a jerk when you're talking all this misogynistic shite. And then the fucking bell rings and you have the match. Jesus Christ almighty, Andy Kaufman with the side headlock takeover. Move over MJF. This is... Tight. I like it. (laughs) Like he... It's it's a shoot, folks. He's wrestling these women for sure. We we watched a lot of footage of a lot of women of varying athletic prowess 
get their faces rubbed in the dirt. He's a nasty wrestler. Knees on the back of the neck. Yeah. Slapping them. Mm. Oh my God. Like, you know, seeing it in a movie as portrayed by someone is one thing. Actually watching it on TV and then people be like, eh! like people are acting like Bobby Davro's falling over in the stocks every time he does this. It is very uncomfortable for a lot of the audience. I needed some kind of like Eric Andre's bad trip sequence at the end where they kind of like go up to all the women and like they're all smiling and hugging and they're fine and stuff. Because like he he like beats the shit out of them. Yeah, it's, it is, it's quite vicious. And I mean, they're vicious too, but it's just oh, like, yeah. you know, he's got training in wrestling and they don't. So I can't imagine like what the logic is here because I know you know he had writing partners like Bob Zamuda and stuff like that you know and I, I kind of I take a bit of a pinch of salt a lot of the people who are associated with him because I feel like since his death the cottage industry of I really knew what Andy was all about and here's the real secret you know everyone from his family to anyone who had written for him to anyone who ever spoken to him it seems other than people he worked with in wrestling seem to have the here's the real secret sauce and Is surprisingly it, it yeah. always involves them more than Andy yeah. Kaufman being the genius which again makes me Makes me really like respect wrestling as an industry because wrestlers get it. They, they, get, they get him more than Hollywood. They do, yeah. They like, understood yeah. that it you don't just you don't expose yourself like that. You don't give away the behind the scenes. You're spoiling it for everyone if you do that. Like you got to commit to the bit. I was kind of always perplexed as to what the ultimate goal of it all was and also the big thing hanging over my head was is it okay and that's why like when you wore my Andy Kaufman intergender wrestling champion t-shirt it was probably the first time it had gotten any use since I ordered it from Barbershop Window back in the day (laughs) so you know I know you've been in touch with some hardcore Kaufman heads let's just Mm -hmm. say and the main question that I think I have, and I think a lot of people have, is like, is there like, is there a different element to this? Because some people think that he was doing it for just for yucks, and that everyone was just having a laugh afterwards. Some people thought that he had this genuine, like, angry, misogynistic kind of streak to him that mm. he could only get out by doing this horrible thing, and he balanced <laughs> it out with his meditation. I know some people, and I'd probably be one of these people who think that there's at least a small sexual element to it, mm. mainly because there's lots of stories of him going to, you know, you know, to 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 what's the word? There's lots of stories of him going, you know, with like multiple sex workers and you know wrestling them and all that stuff. And that oh, was, he wrestled sex workers. Yeah, yeah, that wow. was kind of a, a a thing that he did. So what, like, as in, uh, like, as a performance or for no, himself? For himself, like, right? And obviously, you know, with wrestling and grappling, I mean, it's one of those things where, look, hey, I see the Iron Sheik's got a boner giving Hulk Hogan the 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 submission there, brother. It happens, you know. It's a it's a sexy business. It is. I, were you able to find out anything about, like, <laughs> what's it all about, eh? <laughs> so I was really fortunate about, God, one or two years ago, through the On Cinema fandom, mm. I came across this person who was a big Tiny Tim fan and Andy Kaufman fan. And I'm a big Tiny Tim fan as well. So immediately I was like, amazing. They have good taste. And when we decided to do the episode on Andy Kaufman, I thought, well, who better to ask about his life than someone who is genuinely very, very knowledgeable on him? And so I reached out, and, and their name is Minnie Milana, and they've been so, so helpful and Thank generous. Thank you, Minnie, so much. With their information, because they've read, you know, everything there is to read about Andy Kaufman. They've seen all of his performances and stuff, and, and they've taken the time to really understand his work, which I think is, you know, that's that's so um, 
that's so precious, I think, given how complicated and unique he is and how, how misunderstood. And also the fact that, you know, this was the 70s and a lot of footage has been lost. And there's a lot of stuff written about him. Like there are a lot of, yeah. a lot of you know, biographies about him, people, you know, mm. doing interviews about him, etc., etc., as already mentioned. And so. the fact that he, you know, he existed not only in the wrestling world, but also within the world of comedy as like this weird half fictional, half real persona. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of, I think there's a big difference between what was real and what was not real. And so, yeah, I was talking to Minnie Milana about this and I didn't realise, I was saying just like, you know, we were just chatting and I was like, oh, I just always assumed that Andy Kaufman was asexual. Don't know what I based that on. No, he's a goddamn machine, I heard. Yeah, yeah. so that's what they told me. Okay. He apparently was an absolute sex machine. And yeah, the wrestling women was, he got off on it. I don't know if that's like the reason why he did it, but he did get off on it. And I think that it would be now a good time as any, because I'm very fortunate to come across this this very precious text, mm. which is called Dear Andy Kaufman, I Hate Your Guts, which was put together by Andy's former writing partner, Bob Zamuda, and his widow, Lynn. And this is a collection of all the correspondence that Andy got while he was the intergender women's champion. And like, he wouldn't just do this on SNL. Like you'd go see Andy Kaufman live at a concert. You know, this is, this is what he'd be doing as part of it. Like, yeah. you know, he'd do some stand up, then he'd come out and you know, there's a referee and a wrestling match, and we're going to have a wrestling match now all of a sudden. So we've thumbed through this and the rationale behind why women wanted to fight him. Um, it's widespread. It's, it's quite the tapestry, let's just say. So mm-hmm. I've got a few here that maybe we could, we could read out. We could pass over and mm-hmm. uh, have, have a bit of a fun time reading. Yeah. All this lovely typed out correspondence to Andy Kaufman. To whoever reads this, tell Andy Kaufman that I don't like the show Taxi as well as I used to since I found out what a jerk he is. He might not care what I think of him personally, but he can't be helping the show's ratings. I'm in an electric wheelchair, and I'd gladly run it over him a few times if it would shut him <laughs> the hell up. Reward or no rewards. Good luck to the woman. I hope she's a goddamn Amazon. Yours sincerely, Miss Lou Evan. And then we have another one here, which is a headshot from a bikini lady Ooh. that says, Dear Andy, sure I might look pure... This is all in capital re- letters written over her glamour shot, by the way. <laughs> Dear Andy, sure I might look pure and innocent and maybe even defenseless, but look into them eyes. I've been through more fights than you have in a lifetime. I'm from Brooklyn. Yeah, the Brooklyn Bombers. I'll rub your face into the ground until it looks like your rear end to show the world what a total asshole you are. And that is from Unknown. So uh, there you go. That's a, a, a nice uh, correspondence there from Mr. Kaufman. Take take your time, thumb through. They're, they're all pretty much great. Like Some of these are really nice. There's one here. Oh, <laughs> See, some, there were some nice people. People were just, it was nice, yeah. There's one from this, this nice lady who said, If I'm chosen, I'll do my very best. Sincerely, Vicky. And that is on the back of a postcard that says, Broad Power. Yeah. All it's right. got a picture of a, of a lady with her fist up. Well, you know what? Maybe she had a chance. She could have been one of the 400 who he defeated. Dear Mr. Kaufman, I heard your statement on Saturday Night Live and could not possibly believe that you think you can beat any woman in a wrestling match. You must be insane. You're nothing but a scrawny little stick man. You have no meat on your body. You're just flesh and bones. Why, I could whip you in nothing flat. So if you would like to lose your money, go ahead and pick me, you male chauvinist pig, you. I dare you. <laughs> Mrs. Donna, the bruiser. The bruiser! There's a picture there. I don't know if that's her. Oh my god. But she does look like a bruiser. She does look like a bruiser. She looks like someone who would like beat you with her rolling pin. Dear Andy, you sexist jerk. 
I'm going to rip your lungs out. Oh my. I'll give you a tracheotomy with my bare hands. <laughs> I'm going to rearrange your face so badly that when you feel the urge to pick your nose, you'll scratch your earlobes. I'll see you in New York on December 22nd. P.S. My vital stats are 5'2", 111 pounds of shit-kicking fury. <laughs> Sucker. So that's but a taste of the correspondence that Andy got from being intergender champion. And this was a like this lasted years as well. This wasn't like a one month bit. This was years and years that mm. this went on. Like it, well into when he went to Memphis and started wrestling, the intergender thing was still you know, that was what Andy Kaufman was, was kinda known as. So how how many years are we talking? I, I mean he started doing it in like seventy eight, mm. seventy nine. And he, you know, he was doing it one form or another until his passing, which would have been, you know, 82, 83. Right. So, yeah, it was, it was quite a long time. Yeah. I don't know if it ever kind of, like, you know, there was ever that moment where it's like, it's all a joke, ladies and gentlemen, it's okay. I don't think there was ever that kind of sweet satisfaction from it or anything mm. like that. I don't I, think he would want that. Do you think that his end game was, this will get me into, like, an actual wrestling show? This is, this is my kind of... My ticket, so to speak. Well, according to my source, Minnie, Kaufman has loved wrestling since he was a kid. Yeah, I knew he was a lifelong fan. Yeah, yeah like massive fan. He would wrestle his siblings um, in like little matches, like backyard matches and stuff. Um, that's how much he loved loved wrestling. So I think it was always his dream to be involved in wrestling in some way, shape or form. And whatever it would have been, you know, these days, you know, we've talked often about, you know, size requirements mm. historically in wrestling and... You know, even here we are in 2022 when we're recording this. And even though it felt like one of the companies had made big progress on not feeling that's the way anymore. (laughs) The new edict in WWE is very much, you have to be this tall to ride the main event ride. Mm. So I think, you know, if you are someone who was smaller like Andy in the 70s or growing up in the the, the 60s or whatnot. Yeah, good Lord. You know that if wrestling's a dream, it's a far flung one, a far, far, far away. Mm. This was possibly his ticket in there, or at least to gain him some sort of notoriety. So he did have that trip to New York where he, you know, talked with them and they said very calmly but firmly, no, we don't want any involvement with you. Because, mm. you know, it says a lot when even the WWF thinks that what you're doing is in a little bit poor taste. <laughs> Bill Apter, who was a photographer at the time, long-standing wrestling journalist, you know, legendary figure in, in the sport. He is taking pictures that night. He meets up with Andy they go back to his apartment. Bill Apter lives with uh, one of the women wrestlers at the time in the WWWF. They are talking wrestling so long that it goes into the small hours of the night. And Andy's kind of a bit despondent because, you know, the McMahons don't want anything to do with them. They let him hang around backstage when they told him to leave. And he think, oh, that's it. We're done. And they were looking through some wrestling magazines. And they're thumbing through and they see all these wild pictures of all the crazy characters they have down in Memphis. Because I think we've mentioned before once or twice... That Memphis was a little bit of a different style, the Southern wrestling style. Would you know kind of any of the things that would make Memphis wrestling a little bit different to, say, what Bret Hart and the, uh, those types would have done back in the day? Not really. If I had to guess, just on the based on the fact that I know Jerry Lawler was their top star, I would guess it was more character work yes. than actual, like grappling yes more character than work rate in inverted commas you mm. know so it's, it's more about 
the, the, the audience getting the passion from them and all that. And, you know, the way they did that historically was they have their big top star baby face, Jerry the King Lawler, and he would face off against these big monsters from all over the world. And, you know, Jerry Lawler would fucking you know, wrestle Frankenstein and, you know, like all, all that shit. Like, he would, they would go crazy over the top. Mm. I mean, I think when we did wrestling silliest characters or when we did our Southpaw Regional Wrestling retrospective on, pa- on Patreon, we looked at some of you know, like Tagar, the Volcano Master, and all these crazy characters. So they're thumbing through the magazine, and all of a sudden, Kaufman is like, oh my god, look at this stuff. This is crazy. This is wild. Like, do you know him? And he's like, oh, Andy, I know I know Jerry Lawler quite well. You know, Bill Apter and Jerry Lawler were, were, were associates, because he used to take pictures of him for the wrestling magazines. And it's like in the middle of the night, and Kaufman's like, do you think we could ring him? You know, because it's a bit late for office hours. And Bill says, well, if the one thing I've learned in wrestling is that, like, actual proper wrestlers will take a business call regardless of the time of night. Mm. So they ring Jerry Lawler at, you know, three in the morning and straight away they're meeting the next day. And the big plan is set forth that they're going to do Andy Kaufman coming in to Memphis mm. to do a heel angle where he's going to antagonize everyone, despite the fact that he's meant to be America's sweetheart, Latka, the lovable character on Taxi. But it makes sense from the little bit I know about the the different attitudes in America. And I'm basing this a lot on King of the Hill. Please excuse me, Americans. I'm so sorry. Texas is not Memphis, Joe. <laughs> I know, but the South of America seems to have this... And it, I, it's not just the South as well. It seems to be like this, almost like this rivalry between the North and the South of America. Yeah. Where the North of America is very much considered like liberal There's elites, a divide, absolutely. And they yeah. think all of the South Americans are all racist hillbillies. Meanwhile, all the people who live in the South of America think that the people who live in the North of America are snobs, elitists. You'd be very broad in general speaking Obviously, here, yes. But there is, broadly speaking historically at least mm. a north-south divide exactly to the yeah. extent that there was a civil war at one point not like here in the uk not like- oh no 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 we don't have that problem no it's, it's us versus london here in the uk but and of course up here we consider everything south of london to also be london yes i'm looking at you oxbridge <laughs> so i think the the north-south divide you know i think that really helped matters for andy because like you know, as you say, he approached wrestling companies like in the north of America and they would have just thought it was tasteless. Mm. Whereas in the south, I think they would have understood that the narrative going in, you know, this guy from Hollywood coming over here, telling us we're all hillbilly hicks who don't know anything and we're uneducated. Oh, and also I'm going to wrestle women in the audience yeah. because somehow that's sophisticated. And the idea and of not, like, yeah. yeah, the idea of as well, like women being weak, you know, in South America, especially there'd be a lot of like women who worked like very hard jobs. Oh, so yeah, I think yeah. Especially in South America, that would be considered like really shocking to say that, oh, women are weak and shit and they can't, they should just stay in the kitchen because there is much more of a culture in the South of America for women to actually be expected to have jobs. And also as well, you know, the the men in the audience, you know, how how many Southern wrestlers have we seen before where they're big tough guys and then they talk about their mama or whatever Mm. and all of a sudden there's a twinkle in their eye. You know, there's culturally as well in the South, you know, you honor your mom. Like, you know, that's how you're, you show you're a gentleman, mm. you know, hold it Yeah, up, there is a lot more know. of the gentleman focus there. Yeah, you know, that, that's not to, to say that that is, that's, you know, without its own issues in some yeah. respects. But that riled people up. And mm. what is amazing about this documentary is the amount of footage that they show of the audience. Yeah. You see Andy in there 
Somehow, in 1979 and 1980 in Memphis, with better video and audio quality than Ring of Honor in the 2000s... It's weird, isn't it? It's strange, isn't it? What happened? We lost something along the way. But we get these close-ups of people in the audience, and whoa, you thought the grannies (laughs) on World of Sport were riled up. Wait till you see the moms of Memphis line up to kill Andy Kaufman. It's so funny. Spitting on the ground, shaking the guardrails. And it makes me Lunging at him, like, going for him, you know? And I... I know for a fact that like obviously a lot of those women were were worked but it makes me wonder as well like obviously we mentioned that for Andy some of this was like a slightly sexual thing I wonder how many women because he's a good looking guy and like how many women would have thought yeah I'll I'll wrestle this good looking guy like sure well I mean (laughs) one of the early things that happened when he went to Memphis was the new stipulation because he was still the reigning defending undisputed undefeated intergender champion he said not only would you get a thousand dollars that if you beat him, you would get to marry me! <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I know arranged marriage is probably a bit of a soft spot down in uh, down in Memphis. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely am viewing it now that you've told me that, that there was at least uh, a high enough percentage that Andy was hoping to, to get more than a reaction out of the crowd, let's just say, from all of this. <laughs> because like, there's great chemistry, I think, in anger. What, in, in that you think it brings out, like... Not in everyone. Not but, everyone. But certain people. I mean, it's a trope in, in a lot of movies for a reason. The idea of the couple having this fierce argument and then passionately making love, like, seconds afterwards. <laughs> like, I think for a lot of people, rage is an aphrodisiac. That's true, yeah. And I think, like, with regards to the audience and their reaction, I'm not necessarily sure it's the case that every single person thought that Andy Kaufman was this real-life hate figure and they actually wanted to kill him. But I do remember hearing someone describe it once. About, like I was asking them about their grandparents and why they liked World of Sport, whatever it was. And I was like, did they, you know, did they really want to kill Mick McManus? Did they hate the Irish that much? And it's like, no, it's just like, you know, it was like kind of letting off some steam. Yeah. You're going to the show, you know, deep down, even though Vince McManus had come out and told you in a press conference mm. words to the effect that it is, you know, it's a show. Mm. You know, we don't need to go into much more than that. It's a show or whatever. And it's cathartic just to unbridly hate something like that yeah. you know it's like me and my love of baron corbin the other day <laughs> baron corbin was tweeting about how shit english food is and i got so worked with the, with that fucking meat on your instagram corbin yeah, his meat games leveled up yeah you want some more fucking steamed steaks fucking this piece of shit sloppy steak baron <laughs> no, corbin get out of here he can cook a steak now I, I want happy corbin improved. not sloppy corbin <laughs> <laughs> but like it's you know and i i love baron corbin but i love him because i hate him and it's so satisfying to have a healthy outlet to hate because it's hate is a horrible toxic feeling mm. and when you hate a real person it doesn't feel good no but to hate a character it feels amazing yeah and if that character isn't someone who's on twitter as well in real life it yeah. probably helps you a little bit more lowers the blood pressure after yeah. the fact, you know and to know that it's like mutually beneficial and they kind of you know it's a weird thing to say but that they consent to your hate and they actually encourage it and that's like you know, it's fun. He did have, like, stuff thrown at him, you know, but it wasn't, you know, I'm reading Joe Bret Hart's autobiography. We've just come past the part where he's in Puerto Rico at the moment. I'm doing all the voices as well because I'm a good partner. But, you know, he's talking about you know, people having batteries thrown at them, oh, you God. know, cups full of piss and, ah, you know, geez. people, you know, we, we talked about the episode, you know, people getting stabbed, you yeah. know, and you, Bobby Heenan had a gun pulled on him, mm. for Christ's sake. So, you know, I think there was an element of even though... 
he was eliciting that very real response. I don't feel they were quite at the level of that they were going to try and actually, you know, jump the ring and fucking kill him. Like, mm. that, cause that I think he would have liked that, though. He probably was aiming for that. But, mm. you know, this would have been at a time, this is, you know, post, you know, the good incident in the AWA and all that. So, obviously, the, it, it kind of is in the back of your mind. There is yeah. a, a safety at risk here. I did like that one of the first big angles he did, he didn't go straight in to fight Jerry Lawler. He would fight some women, but then the big fight was that he was going to take on uh, their women's wrestler they had called Foxy. And Foxy was like one of the few African-American women's wrestlers who would have been around in, in Memphis at the time. So they did like the big match, the big buildup was Andy taking on him. And the idea was that Jerry Lawler would be in Foxy's corner, kind of giving her some pointers and stuff like that. And Kaufman did end up beating her in that match just about. But at the end of the match, he gets like... Just a little shove out of the way by Jerry Lawler, but he acts like he's been given like a fucking, you know, he's been, he's been, he's been, he acts like he's been fucking shoved like really far down the stairs. He goes halfway across the ring. And also the idea was that Lawler was giving Foxy pointers as well on how to, because I don't think Foxy was like a big wrestler. No, no. I think she was somebody who was like in the business, but she was presented to the crowd as being like, she's just, you know, she's she's a tough lady Mm. like, and she'll kick his ass, you know? So Jerry was kind of in her corner, which I think is where then the feud with Andy and Jerry started. And this is all, you know, like they are all long since planned. This, this is all planned out. And you know, when they depict this in the movie, they kind of hold that from you. Like they don't show it to you until like much, much later in the story that, Oh, actually there was, there was, it was a work and they were in on it. But it was at least 10 years after Andy's passing before Jerry actually revealed any sort of details about, you know, working with him and what their agreements were. Mm. And, you know, they, they, they wanted to go long term with this. And like Memphis was, you know, it was a hot territory and all that, but this was fucking huge for them. Like, cause he was like a national TV star mm. to come down into a smaller, not, not the big territory to a more regional promotion. It was huge. And you know, they filled out 10, 15,000 people in that mid South Coliseum. You know, that's a lot of fucking people to come see wrestling, mm. you know? And they did it with not an awful lot of physicality because Andy, other than wrestling the women, when it came to actually him and Lawler, you know, face to face, you could probably count the total number of moves that he received on two hands, you know, all, all being said. Well, I was going to ask you, like, do you think the idea of this is we want to get more female fans in to watch it? Because I couldn't help but notice when they were showing the audience that there were a lot of women in the crowd, like a mm-hmm. lot more than maybe I would have expected. The little bit I know about Jerry Lawler, I think he already had a big female audience. Yeah, that's I true. I don't understand why, but I, I think, women apparently yeah. loved him. <laughs> well, Joe, have you heard? that fucking beard, that beard, which is so much more offensive than anything Andy Kaufman has ever said or done. <laughs> No matter how hard he tries. Oh, this is this is the Jerry Lawler eighties and seventies goatee. Where's the weird girls? You gotta tell me about the goatee, Joe. No, Come it on. looks like a crown, and I hate it. It looks like a crown. It's so bad. I found it's a so way bad. To make a goatee worse, Jerry Lawler. I am an awe somehow. And I'll tell you what I love more than anything: the classic heel shtick of. The, the guy who's talking a big game and he gets, you know, the, the, the lightest of touch and he stands up straight away and it's, I'll sue you, baby. The fact that he calls everyone baby is so funny because it's like, here's this Hollywood guy coming down yeah. south he calls everyone baby. Like, I'll sue you, baby. I've got the brains because I'm from Hollywood. The other thing that he said over and over and over and he said it in his the short movie we watched, My, My Breakfast with Blassie. 
images. I'm on taxi. I'm on television once a week. I'm on television. I'm a big star because once a week I mm-hmm. appear on TV. Like this, you know, this weekly appearance makes him this larger than life star. So we then got a series of, honestly, some of my favorite promos of all time. Andy in his very opened up shirt because you know it used to be one button and now two is the norm so i'm thinking three but andy if you're doing three you might as well be like jez and go for four (laughs) and the big medallion this bit where he's talking about (laughs) i'm from hollywood and you're i'm not exaggerating he goes i'm from hollywood and you're from oh boy that if someone did that in an Irish voice, I would be I would be jumping through the screen for them. Yeah. Like I, I I can't even I don't know you could understand that as an English woman, Joe. What do you, you mean? Why? Do people can people make fun of English people in the same way that would elicit such anger? Oh, I mean ugh, I mean parts of England probably, yeah. Like mm. certain regional accents. But I, yeah, it's it is definitely different, I think. If you're English, I mean you've colonized most of the world, like <laughs> <laughs> what are people gonna say? <laughs> oh, I'll colonize most of the world, dude. <laughs> so he's there with his lawyer, who is his writing partner, Bob Zamuda, who's promising uh, that when he's finished with Jerry Lawler, he will never eat again because he will be beaten so badly. And the promos are coming back from Jerry Lawler in this kind of back and forth. I thought Jerry was left in the weeds by the promos from Andy Kaufman. I don't know mm-hmm. about you. Yeah, no, Jerry's promos were not very good like compared to andy why did you think it was at this point because it was so early he didn't know whether or not to go like because i felt like he warmed up to it a bit more later but he's still kind of like you know i'm surprised by how low energy he was yeah i I don't know enough about early like those early eras of wrestling to know how much of this whole promo thing was done then because, like, what Andy is doing in his videos is very much like what you would see today oh, yeah. in a modern wrestling promo. And it's a bloody masterclass as it is. well. It of, is. Like, if you want humour and heel work, mm. like, to be despicable and also hilarious at the same but, time. And, but also, like, so well-spoken. Um, <laughs> and there's such, like, a like a poetry, like, a, a very intentional cadence to it. But even when he you say that, but he kind of goes into being like, bleh, 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 like, he does... But it doesn't matter because it's ryth- it's the rhythm. Yeah. And it's, it's the fact that the pacing is good. And that's, like, that's honestly like the most important thing of any promo is is that it you know it shouldn't really matter what the person is saying it should still sound rhythmic and yeah. good i just this this promo where his rationale is that he can beat jerry lawler very very easily because he's beaten women who are taller than jerry lawler and way more than jerry mm. lawler ergo jerry lawler will be no issue whatsoever yeah. for andy kaufman so he brings on this six foot woman mm. who's built like a brick shit house. Yeah, she weighs three hundred and twenty seven pounds, I think she said, and um, he he takes her on, and he immediately gets her in a headlock and makes her unconscious. Yeah, he like he just grinds her face into well, the ground. Well, that's like his like, thing, isn't yeah. it? That's what he does to all of the women. He gr- he like properly grinds their face into the ground because it's horrible. And he's he sat on top of her, being like, "Come on, baby." Like he's all, and his lawyer's like Andy, no, no. I think he really hurt her. And he stands up and he goes, "What's she gonna do? She's poor. She can't sue me." And he, he starts, starts kicking her on Jesus the ground. Christ, 
<laughs> and she's just laying there like limp. <laughs> so yeah, he's got the brains. He's from Hollywood and he's beaten a large woman. So Jerry Lawler, you're in for the fight of your life. And uh, yeah. This promo felt so very Vince McMahon. Yeah. Very, no, definitely. Yeah. Like the whole saying something really rude and horrible while also like just like making fun of someone's like income and then also kicking them when they're down like it's that's the triple threat of vince right there but you know it is it's it's modern in that sense that it has that kind of sports entertainment sensibilities mm. isn't it because it is it's character work and over the top and yeah. you know this guy's an absolute goof but like i do kind of i do get that proper hit of oh like, maybe because he's by the pool but it just made me think about you know dusty Rhodes, those promos where you know the, the guy was you know smashing open the, the full can of beer and all mm. that just the, the casual wrestler hanging out in his pool talking yeah, the Hollywood shit. superstar hanging out by his pool it's like yeah. everything about it has been has been considered and it, it's so intentional all of it I was absolutely ecstatic to finally sit down and see the, the encounter of all encounters as Jerry the King Lawler fought Andy Kaufman in the Mid-South Coliseum which genuinely it was very impressive in terms of from Man on the Moon this was almost shot for shot the the real deal. Like he he did it almost identically. You know, he he mostly spent his time dancing like a chicken running around the ring. His gear always makes me laugh. The kind of the top to bottom, like the big long suit with the the shorts pulled over it, his little shitty robe and all that. He just like he has a very funny shaped body. Like he is he's like a little string bean man. He's quite gangly. He makes Lawler look like a Greek god, which is <laughs> Which is saying something, like, honestly. <laughs> Jerry Lawler offers him a free headlock because Andy Kaufman had said on SNL and he said on Letterman as well that, you know, the headlock is the, the special weapon. Once he gets that headlock locked in, brother, that's it. It's game over, you know? So he, he lets him have the free headlock. He gets the big back suplex. He gets a pile driver, which results in being disqualified. And then another pile driver. We don't see that in the movie. They only show one pile driver. Now... Andy's selling of the, the pile driver and the backdrop, I, I gasped when I saw it. <laughs> Did he intentionally make himself so limp or is it just because he's so light and he's been picked up by Jerry, he's a big strong dude, he's going to look like that? Well, he was, he was trained to be, like, he was trained as a wrestler, right? What, Andy? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not saying he was, like, a professional, but, like, he was given the basics. I mean, I assume he would have gotten the basics, but, like, I don't know, honestly. Like, I, I'm you know? pretty sure he, he would have he been. He would know how to, yeah. Just because, like, otherwise that's, like, I mean, it is a lawsuit waiting to happen to wrestle other people who have no wrestling background and you have no wrestling background as well, and they're women. Like, I just think surely someone would have taken a bit of care just to make sure he knows how to, like... How to do a throw, how to do a headlock, how to yeah. like land properly. And and landing properly is the first thing you learn in wrestling training. So I think he would have... You know, if it's not that, then it must be the fact that he wrestled his, his siblings so much and you just learn by doing it. I have a feeling you? Jerry wasn't taking any chances. Like, mm. you know, and, and honestly, if there's one person in the world who, uh, other than Ric Flair in his prime, who I would happily take... You know, if, if there's anyone in the world I'd take a pile driver from, it's Jerry Lawler. Yeah. Like, you know, wouldn't let him near my kids, but i let him give me a pile driver mm. in his heyday. Because it just seems like... You've made a career doing this move and you were known as a notoriously safe wrestler in a yeah. territory that is a notoriously safe style. He'd be okay. And he was fine from all of this, but they sell it. And this is the thing. I think reviewing these as matches is a bit difficult. Andy Coffins, they weren't matches. They were happenings, I guess, to, mm. to use the parlance of the times. Because he's straight away, he's putting the neck brace. He's taken out on the stretcher. 
there's an ambulance waiting, which is like, that's a very Attitude Era thing. You know? Yeah. They're, they're, I was expecting you know, Steve Austin to be in there going, and attack Andy Kaufman afterwards. The bedpan, yeah. But he paid for the ambulance himself. Wow. He paid for the people to take him away. The story was, was that he was in the ICU for three days with traction in his neck. He wore the neck brace for six months after the fact, mm. you know, properly milking the, the the wrestling injury. Now, you say that he wasn't injured by the pile driver. I don't think he was. And I will tell you that's not true. Really? When he wrestled his brother as a kid, right. he, he tweaked his neck and he, he injured okay. it basically as a child. Right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think it might have even been from something like a pile driver, actually. And when he got the pile driver from Jerry Lawler, it actually did knock it out again. So it, it was hurt. I don't think he, you know, once he wasn't broken, it wasn't yeah. like an injury in the way that we understand he neck injuries. Neck, he didn't break his neck, <laughs> but he was in genuine pain and he yeah. did actually need the neck brace for well, a little while. Oh, okay, I see. Well, I mean, that's the thing though. It's like, he was probably delighted with that fact, wasn't he? Yeah. Because the more real it seems, the better it is. But this is kind of the point now where I think something like Man on the Moon... It was really, I think it was a failing of, of the movie as, as a piece. I think, you know, as a movie, it's absolutely fine. And we listen to a lot of, you know, Jerry Lawler interviews and stuff because he's kind of the, the man who, surviving from this, who can actually talk eloquently about it. And, you know, far be it from the idea that he did this and his manager was like, oh, my fucking God, wrestling. Oh, this is the worst. This is the worst thing in the world. First wrestling women and now this and all of his writing partners and everyone who was involved was like, oh, Andy, please just stop. Like, it... Everyone was happy with it. His, like George Shapiro was there, you know, in the audience, and then he came to ringside. Like he was part of it. You know, his 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 whole inner circle. They were all in on it. Like mm. as far as we could tell, they were they were all part of it. And I don't think, like Jerry was very adamant every time he's been interviewed about it that the notion that his career was undone because of the wrestling, like that was like that was just a story. That wasn't actually what happened mm. if anything it gave him you know national attention mm. because it certainly helped memphis and it, it helped andy kaufman's career in a way but they spent time in the documentary kind of saying like oh this is like you know he 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 kind of lost his his place but they're doing it in kayfabe robin williams talking about losing his friend andy to wrestling yeah is hysterical and robin starts going like you know and andy he he came to me to borrow money um by wrestling mats and um, <laughs> don't you spend that on ropes andy <laughs> don't you do that and then you know i saw him a week later and he was he was begging for money on the street so we could buy wrestling mats and um it was a real dark time how do you tell your how do you tell your friend to stop wrestling how do you yeah. do, how do you do that because yeah. <laughs> uh, at the start we were like oh god robert williams looks fucking miserable in yeah this. he looks really depressed and he was just he was in the right headspace yeah. i think to do this like <laughs> i think it's just funny because for the kayfabe of the idea that andy like that is like and I don't know that it was the movie's intention. Maybe it was. But the kayfabe idea that Andy is this Hollywood star who is literally putting his career in jeopardy now and his, his status, this cushy gig he has. He has to show TV once a week to be Latka. How easy is that, right? And all of a sudden, his obsession with wrestling and Jerry Lawler is, is undoing it. Like, his second or third appearance in Memphis is his showing up, him showing up into the arena and going, Ladies and gentlemen, I am announcing that I'm leaving forever! And it is the biggest pop I think I've ever yeah. heard in wrestling. And then he goes on to be there for like another two years after the fact. <laughs> so we're going to talk now about the next kind of iconic thing that happened. And this is something that people say is like, you know, the, the slap heard around the world. And this is what made sports and entertainment come together. And it didn't happen because of Vince McMahon Jr. It happened because of Andy Kaufman, Jerry the King Lawler, and a spot on Late Night with David Letterman. 
I have always been fascinated by stuff going wrong on late night, particularly David Letterman. As a big American Splendor fan, I've watched him antagonize Harvey Pekar and there have been breakdowns and meltdowns on his show. I, I love watching people freak out on late night talk shows. It's my favourite. Clive Anderson interviewing the Bee Gees. Yes, please. <laughs> but the actual sit down we watched the whole unedited thing between Kaufman Lawler and Letterman what what was that like to actually experience that you know the actual footage of it I mean it's fascinating and it <laughs> it's very tense it feels real it feels really really real it feels like they fucking loathe each other it really feels like you've gotten two kids from school who like beat the shit out of each other on a regular basis and you've, of justice. you've like dragged them into like the head teacher's office to like make them be nice to each other like it feels so tense and the head teacher is david letterman so it's fucked yeah the crowd were so anti-jerry it was hilarious but they're in hollywood what? so yeah. what do you expect like it made me it made me think of bret hart like with the the anti-american yeah. gimmick like it, it, it works depending on where you are and that's yeah, what's yeah. so clever about it and like and andy doesn't try and play the baddie here when he comes out it's not like kind of this man he's he's brutalized me he's like you know i just don't get it dave you know I come here you know everyone loves me i'm from hollywood you know everyone's a big fan of it was a joke. T- taxis on I TV, TV once why, a week. Why you take the joke so yeah. seriously? And, and yeah, he's just like, I'm just having fun. And then you've got, but like you Lolly know, on the, Lola on the other hand is going, it's my career. It's, my career isn't a joke to me. I take it seriously. And and both men come across as very reasonable. I love that there is this unspoken thing because you can tell with Letterman. I've shown you before because you 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 got a kick out of it. I think. Letterman interviewing a very young Vince McMahon when he's trying oh, to promote yeah. WrestleMania. And the disdain for the wrestling business, you could fucking cut it with a knife. It's so palpable in that sense. I fucking hate Jerry Lawler, but my God, it made me so angry seeing Letterman talk over him all the time. Oh, you don't you don't like Letterman either, do I don't. You? I don't really like any <laughs> yeah. talk host yeah, star yeah. I fucking hate them all yeah like, I mean, you don't like the format shit. like yeah. I know the format's fine I just hate the people who get hired <laughs> to do it and they become egotistical bastards you get and a I, real I piece hate of them shit, like, yeah they're yeah. a real piece of shit so and it was just like it, the disrespect like he would ask Jerry Lawler a question and then just talk over him and it's just like you don't you don't do that as an interviewer I don't care you know you could literally ask like you know a random person to come on the show if you ask them a question you fucking listen to the answer it's, it's like Letterman wants to scream from the top of his lungs wrestling's fake you fucking phony because yeah. like you know Jerry Lawler will have his own He'll have his own episode here one day and we'll talk about it in depth. And there'll probably be a dark side of the ring as well. And there's probably a crime and sports podcast episode about him as well. He is not a good person. He is not a nice man. He is, at all intents and purposes, a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say, though, I was shocked at his calm in handling this. Mm. I, I did not expect anyone, least of all Jerry, to come into... Like, this is much more of an antagonistic environment... And it's not just because people don't like Jerry, it's because people don't like wrestling. Mm. And I wouldn't necessarily have thought, oh, people are coming for wrestling, are they? Send Jerry Lawler in the 70s. And it's like, not just the fact that it's wrestling, but it's it's Memphis wrestling, you know, which I can only imagine 
you know, if there was wrestling going on in New York at the time, which was like athletically serious, that they probably think this, you know, it's probably carny shit down yeah. south. They probably, you know, it's it's very snooty the the opinion towards that style. And like Kaufman is good in that he kind of he eggs that bit on, but it doesn't feel like we're being beaten over the head with with it. Like it doesn't mm. feel like we're just kind of going, look at look at the stupid fucking hick Jerry Lawler. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not that. It's like we're in the hometown now. We're in you know we're in New York or whatever, but you know Hollywood inverted commas. We're we're in the celebrity world now. And it's kind of like, oh, how quaint he's here, the, the Memphis wrestling guy yeah. here, there, you do that. And the fact that he gets wound up, but the tension is like, the voices are never raised. And we go from kind of calm but angry to stood up and open hand slap in the blink of an eye. <laughs> and I think Lawler said that he was the first person ever to have, uh, he was told by the lawyers, he was the first person ever to have struck another guest on, on late night. Wow. And my God, you want to talk about a slap, folks. Oh yeah, you, you'll hear that from Memphis. Yeah, he slapped the bejesus out of him. Mm. Oh my God. And he falls right out of his chair. And it's a lot less succinct and, uh, you know, nice little bow wrapped on it like it is in the movie. No, no, no. This is like a full-blown catastrophe. As we cut to commercial, Letterman looks fucking flustered as hell. We come back. Where's coffee being thrown? There is the most expletive-laden tirade I've ever seen on TV. Oh, and they just keep coming back to him. And the audience kind of stop laughing at one point because mm. it's become so tense, the audience can't even bring themselves to titter mm. at the meltdown. That's how awkward it gets. And the fact that this is a work and this was all planned between these two, beautiful. I don't think Letterman knew about it though. And I think that maybe is a little bit of why he's got to be in his bonnet for wrestling. Because he so, was made to look a fool here. I actually have some background on that. Please tell me. I asked Minnie Milana about, about that segment because I... I watched that and I came out of it thinking they must hate each other for real. They must genuinely want to beat the shit out of each other because it just felt so real. Like there's an agreement that we'll do maybe another match or something like that or the business is over now but I want you know, I want everyone to know that I wasn't made light of by this Hollywood guy. We're mm. put a, a stamp on this and this, this will end it or whatever it is it comes across as. So originally it was planned that Andy would sing What the World Needs Now is Love Sweet Love. <laughs> Expectations versus reality, like, fucking hell. And then Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman would make up on Letterman. The idea <laughs> being that Letterman would then initiate, instigate this, like, this lovely heartwarming... Healing moment. Healing moment, yeah, between Wrestling the North and, and the South. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it would be really feel good and it would be nice and, and, and perfect television and stuff. But then, apparently earlier on that same day... Kaufman called Lawler and said something like, wouldn't it be really funny if you just slogged me? Like, just just punched me. And Lawler was like, well, I don't think I can punch you on television. And apparently that was that. But then when they went on the show and started doing the Letterman bit, they both just kind of, like, felt the atmosphere. I think you couldn't predict that it would be the tension that it was. Yeah. Yeah. And they just, like... They just both started like improvising and escalating things, and there is a look, isn't there? At one point, isn't there? Yeah. So yeah, so like Lawler apparently could tell that it wasn't going to plan like they started, and he could tell that like Kaufman wanted to kind of do something different with it. Because you imagine like the tension that there was there if they started singing, that would have been the cringiest thing of all time. Yeah. Like, you know, people would have laughed them out the door. But they not, were not in a good way. Well, they were still at this point supposed to like make up, like <laughs> you know they had still agreed to that as they were live on television. Yeah. But gosh. as this was started escalating, Lawler could kind of tell that obviously Kaufman didn't want it to go that way and so Kaufman gives Lawler a look just before they cut to the ad break where he just like he just like gives him a, a like a look and that's when 
Lawless slaps him really hard. Fucking hell. So, yeah, it's all fake, all improvised, but, like, it's just, like, natural chemistry. You know, they just, you know, in the way that two great performers who have good chemistry can, yeah. they fed off each other and they understood exactly what the other one wanted to get out of it. It's, 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 that's so wrestling, isn't it? So wrestling, yeah. yeah we think, were talking about those matches where yeah. it's like, they don't even have to say anything. They just like, no. gave him a look and all of a sudden he was dropped toehold or whatever it is. Exactly. You know? yeah. And I think, you know, that's it's just, it demonstrates so perfectly the crossover between like improv comedy yeah. and professional wrestling. Absolutely. And that it's, there's so much give and take and unspoken communication. Just the idea of like, of not just being selfish and performing for yourself and getting yourself over, but the idea of that it's like a, it's a teamwork operation. Like you both have to get something out of it yeah. in order for it to really succeed. I love that Andy flinches before he throws the coffee. It makes like his big comeback yeah, it's like seems so crap. Like he's not going to do it. And he's like, no, I will do it. <laughs> so we got the headlines, which happened afterwards, which was him threatening to sue Jerry Lawler him threatening to sue NBC, and my personal favourite, him threatening to buy NBC. Because, <laughs> you know, when he's doing these promos, he's like, I'm on, I'm on taxi once a week, I make hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars for being on it, you know. Like, he is, he is now at the point where, you know, he's, he's this is like the, the start, really, of his big run in Memphis. He did loads more stuff here. This wasn't the end of it by any means, you know. Andy was, was honestly his ultimate goals he wanted to do wrestling like you know jerry says that andy told him several times like absolute hand on heart and as much as you guys take it from andy cop and hand on heart but you know he would say if i could i would do be doing this full time like and he'd be he would always be he'd be moving stuff around and changing commitments so that he could go down and do more wrestling stuff and you know get down there when's the big show i'll, I'll try to get time off you know i'll try to get down there and this was not like much money that he was making out of it you know he was he i'm was, sure he was compensated and all that but you're talking about people and you know jerry was doing well for himself you know a lot of the wrestlers in those shows were you know getting you know 10 20 dollars and a handshake and good luck kid there you go the the thing that he does around this time which is i can't explain why or how this got made because we've watched it now this morning and it is very perplexing to me and i did enjoy it but i am absolutely baffled as to why it was made, what it is, who it's for, and what it's all really about. But he did the My Breakfast with Blassie. Classy mm. Freddie Blassie, the famous wrestling manager. I think we talked about him on the Heyman episode as one of the kind of three wise men of wrestling managers who Heyman would have learned from back in the day, who famously called everyone pencil neck geeks. He's one of the original big wrestlers from America who went over to Japan as a scary gaijin heel, you know, filed his teeth down to points and all that. First man to bite people to draw blood in wrestling was classy Freddie Blassie. So a heel's heel. And my breakfast with Blassie, which takes place a few months after his Jerry Lawler encounter. Hmm. How would you just, is it a short movie? Is it a performance piece? Is it a documentary? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It's, it feels like a web series. It, like... it was all done in one take. <laughs> y- you can tell. Yeah. It's weird. What happens, Joe? Well, he, he meets with Freddie Blassie for breakfast. And they talk about things. Hi, I'm Freddie Blassie. I like pregnant goyles and goyles from Asia. Give yep. me your goyle. Let me fail your pregnant tummy. Over and over. Five times. Yeah. Don't be fucking pregnant. Freddie Blassie's going to go give you a feel. Uh, good Lord. Yeah. But they have their breakfast. And I had heard it be described as just like two heels have breakfast. Mm. But what it pretty much is, is very, very starstruck and slightly sweaty Andy Kaufman mm. just sits and kind of Wide-eyed yeah. listens to his favorite wrestler, yeah. Freddie Bassey, just talk about 
you know. Stuff. I, you know, sometimes I like to sanitize my hands. A lot of know? talk about sanitizing hands, yeah. Yeah, uh, these two men absolutely are neat freaks. Yeah. Uh, strange that being both of them involved in wrestling at the time. Can we talk about the mats that Andy was wrestling no, in the 70s? Not, let's not talk about that. Good Lord, for a man who had a who had a, a thing for, for things to be neat and everything in his place, that mustn't have been very fun for him to be rolling around on that filth. No. Good Lord. But I did laugh a few times in, in my my breakfast with Blassie. But a lot of people have told me it was this absolute masterpiece of improv. You have to see it. It's so great. Like, it's fun to watch. Mm. But I don't think it really... Like, we watched a lot of Andy comedy skits. It it was just like... It felt like it was... More than anything he did, this was... You were saying earlier, oh, it's just something for him. Yeah. This felt like this is, this is a movie for Andy Kaufman. Yeah, you definitely. Know? Like, there's there's footage of him going to see this be re-released in the theatres, like, just a couple of months before he died. He's bald from his chemotherapy and his radiation. And he's got this big smile on his face because he's like, yeah, I'm going to go see this. <laughs> I get to be on screen with Freddie Blassie in a movie theatre for some fucking reason. Mm. It almost feels like it's proof positive that Andy was in this strange position that because no one really understood what it was that he was doing and what people liked him to do, mm. that people would let him do whatever the fuck he wanted to do. Yeah. And I don't know if that's always the best thing in the world, necessarily. Mm. But it's up on YouTube. Yeah. You can't see it. It's like an hour long or thereabouts. Uh, it nearly made me gag this morning because there is some vomity bits and stuff coming out of people's noses and stuff yes, like that. It's really disgusting. It is disgusting. Mm. But I thought I should bring it up because it is very wrestling related, although very wrestling adjacent for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. So Andy returns to Memphis. This time he has got a $5,000 bounty that he is offering. He teams up with a giant masked wrestler named... The Colossus against Jerry the King Lawler. The highlights of this match being Andy comes in to kick Jerry in the bum a few times. And then he causes the Colossus to be tied up in the ropes, which leads to Andy being suplexed like a rag doll. And you gotta think at this point now, some of these owies are gonna be catching up to him. Because when he's doing this promo afterwards where his face was all swollen up, mm. where like he'd been slapped or something and he's bleeding from the mouth. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Mm. He looked like he was in some serious agony here at this point. Yeah, I mean, it definitely looks painful. I don't know about how agonizing it would be. It's really hard to say, isn't it? Because it's wrestling and it's Andy Kaufman. At this point as well, there is kind of questions over his his health. They showed a segment where it was the Jerry Lawler show, like a talk show. And Andy's brought onto it. And Jerry's doing his countdown of the biggest turkeys of the year, whatever it is. And he's got you know Andy on video screen. And what I thought was so funny is that to make Andy seem like a big deal, he's from Hollywood, they have him on a big screen. It's like, oh, here's live from Hollywood Andy. But Andy's such a big fan, he is actually in Memphis. And he's just in the back room and they're filming him. So like he, he, even Mr. Too Big for Hollywood, he wanted to be there, even for the yeah. bits where he's live from Hollywood. And they're going to like, you know, the, the gimmick is that he's the, the big turkey of the year or whatever. So they're going to put his face up on the on the screen and superimpose it over a turkey. It's like Letterman used to do that superimposing stuff. And so did Carson. And uh, we noticed that when we were watching, like he looked he looked kind of disheveled and rough. And a lot of the times, even in the My Breakfast with Blassie, he looked a bit disheveled and rough. Which I think is part of the gimmick. Like it's the storyline yeah. is that he's he's lost to Lawler and he's not thriving anymore. Exactly, he's kind of he's he's gone a bit mad as mm. a result. But there is this like <clears throat> there is this dry, persistent cough, mm. which you know, like you see, like as the cough happens, his voice speeds up and he gets a little bit like he's winding himself up almost. And Jerry is saying to him at this point, he comes over to him, he's like, oh, "I'm so sorry, like you know." You know, he cared about his performance so much and he mm. was just like despondent that 
this cough kept coming up now and it was really wrecking the, the flow of the interviews and all yeah, that. Yeah, pretty frustrating, I'm sure. So I'm, we're assuming at this point, you know, that Andy is, you know, not necessarily had his diagnosis, mm. but that he is suffering from cancer at this point. And it was lung cancer that he had mm. and it was pretty advanced by the time that he actually had his diagnosis. Right. But far be it from Andy Kaufman to step to one side and let that be the end of his wrestling career. Now he's doing boxer versus wrestler matches against Jerry Lawler. Where, yes, folks, Andy Kaufman pops that top straight off. <laughs> and my God, he's got a hairy chest and then some. He uh, claims to be trained by Muhammad Ali. <laughs> and his boxing matches with Jerry Lawler, where he wears boxing gloves and Jerry Lawler does not, is absolutely hilarious to me. Uh, demanding complete silence before he starts his... His boxing exhibition against Jerry Lawler. Uh, he, did you get his little song that he starts singing around this time as well? No. Where he's like, I'm the king, I'm the king, I'm the king of Tennessee. I knocked out Lawler. Do, 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 do. And people are like screaming, throwing toilet paper at him. Wow. Because he's singing his little song about being the king of Tennessee. <laughs> and all of his interviews around this time, he's wearing his little crown as yeah. well. We got these sit down interviews with fans who had been to the arena talking about their experience with Andy Kaufman and the passion with which these people talked about not liking him. I like, I felt really sorry for the folks because, you know, we were talking, there were some people who obviously just came to boo or whatever, but there were people who were genuinely upset by this, mm. you know, like really riled up. Yeah. What did you think of his famous promo where he taught the people of Memphis? I think they're called Memphinians. Memphinians? I think it's Memphis. It sounds like amphibian. Maybe I'm wrong. Memphonians? If you're from Memphis, let me know. <laughs> Uh, teaching them you know because he's a gracious guy from Hollywood mm. he's teaching them uh, some of his basic lessons and he was teaching them about soap how did that go down personal hygiene yeah he he shows them how to use soap and toilet paper and, and shows the ladies how to use a razor blade on their armpits and legs that's like so much worse than like soap and toilet paper where he's like I've seen some of you women and it's disgusting and also as well his technique for shaving legs and armpits seemed a bit scant. He's like, yeah, you just wet, wet the razor and you just kind of go up and down yeah. or whatever. <laughs> that ain't it, though, right? You get cuts if you do that. <laughs> Fucking hell, Andy. No yeah. way. Razor burn. <laughs> They're like, no one down here in Memphis ever uses soap. And you cut to a fan being like, that ain't true. We use soap here all the time. I like, I wash my hands every day before dinner. So I don't know what he's talking about. Like, you know, just incredulous at this. Yeah, you know? I know what toilet paper is actually. He did wrestle Jimmy Hart at one point. He also tried to team up with Jerry Lawler in a bit of a face turn to kind of, you know, because Jimmy Hart had screwed him over and he's like, look, I was just playing. I was just being silly. It was just a performance. just being silly. just being silly. That's all it is. I'm just being silly. And Jerry's like, I shouldn't trust you, but okay, Andy, you and I will team up against the assassins and Jimmy Hart. It's led to... I think your favourite segment of all time in wrestling, Joe. Oh, yeah, definitely. So Jerry Lawler only agrees to help Andy in exchange for Andy promising that he will never, ever, ever wrestle ever again. And Andy agrees. So the stakes are high. And this is like, this is big stakes as well, because, you know, prior to this, Andy Kaufman had a fireball thrown in his face by Jerry the King Lawler. And this is, of course, big high stakes as well. The feud between these two has is, is, is never been hotter, literally, because Jerry Lawler threw a fireball at Andy Kaufman's wow. face. Was that, like, makeup that they did? Because he had all these, like, scars and burns around his face. It looked really good. So I don't know. I assume you... it's makeup. Well, I don't know. I didn't... Honestly, fireball and wrestling, 
no thank you. Unless you're Hulk Hogan doing it to yourself. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that. So what happens then when uh, Jerry Lawler and Andy Coffin team up against uh, Jimmy Hart and the Assassin? So Jerry and Andy, they come out against Jimmy and the Assassin. And they're just about to start wrestling when Andy, like, he throws a powder in Jerry's face. <laughs> like, literally, it's like, ding, 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 powder. <laughs> and then as Jerry, like, falls over... Andy just like starts kicking him on the floor and then Jimmy and the assassin come over as well and they all start kicking him and it's amazing. It's really good. Just all of them, these horrible men just going, ha 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 kicking Jerry Lawler on the ground. I think that's what we're probably like, we, we saw a lot of these matches, these happenings or whatever, you know, because it's like, it's like 30 seconds since Jerry Lawler being kicked by three men. That was Andy's last match, I believe, in, in Memphis. If that was him, he was gone. Icon. And it was because like, you know, that cough that he had been complaining about, which... And all these interviews that we saw, the cough was there, like, you know, it was, it was coming up here and there. And, of course, there were people speculating because I think if you become this type of person who reveres in not hold, giving everyone the full story and withholding information and being strange and being kind of mysterious, mm. people start filling the blanks. And there are these super fans who are like, oh, it's his new bed, it's, it's the coffee. That was the coffee he was doing there. Oh, oh my God, right, here it comes. Yeah. And Jerry was one of the first people to find out. Mm. Or whether or not he was the first person to believe him, I'm not sure. The movie makes out that his family and friends didn't believe him. I think that was somewhat exaggerated for a fact because mm-hmm. you know his family have kind of were part of the the, the cult of Andy after his yeah. death quite a bit and in on the joke and all of that. But Jerry claims he was the one of the first people to find out that that Andy had quite serious lung cancer, mm-hmm. and he's like, well, you know, I'm gonna go get treatment and hopefully I'll be back. Like he was already you know written out ideas for new angles that he'd come back and do another thing and this yeah. that and the other. And four months later, he was dead. Oh, God. And he was 35 years old. No, really? I was so shocked. I, I, 35? No idea. No idea, Joe. Seriously. I couldn't believe it. I, From my mind, it was like 45. Oh, my 45, God. Yeah, I thought you know? he was like in his late 40s, early 50s. 35. Obviously so young still, but 35. I mean, that's just like a year older than you. It has it has dawned on me, yes, uh, during this, that that is wow. quite close. And I couldn't believe it. Like, what a, what a career to accomplish what he did and to turn so many worlds of entertainment on its heads in that short time. But I think the idea of his death was always going to have, you know, to, to quote the G-Men, unforeseen consequences because... Like, I am of the opinion if you spend this long trying to confuse people and trying to... Like, you know, I, I try to be as plain-spoken and, you know, as, as obvious as I can be when I'm joking. I get tweets from people all the time be like, you know, completely misunderstanding what I say and mm. misinterpreting what I say. And that's just... That's the real... That's the, the world. You know, people will never understand as, what you mean to say as it's meant to be said sometimes. So it was no doubt that people were going to think, oh, he's not really dead. Or, you know, this is a bit. Mm. Or, you know, the people who would go to Andy's grave every year for, you know, from that point on. Pretty much every year people show up on the anniversary of his death thinking he's going to like, you know, ha ha, ta-da. You know, 30 years after I've died, here's the, mm. the punchline for the joke. You know, people claiming to have been Andy, people claiming to have been long-lost siblings, all this kind of stuff that came out. That was to be expected. The one thing that I watched and it really shook me was Memphis Wrestling announcing Andy had 
severe lung cancer and that he was you know pretty much on his deathbed and jimmy hart comes out and he's like i want to tell you about my good friend andy kaufman and something real bad's happened baby he's got lung cancer and what causes lung cancer baby the number one thing is when you get a lump or a bruise and what causes that baby jerry lawler you gave andy kaufman that cancer baby when you gave him the pile drivers daddy it's and he's he's there telling everyone in the audience Jerry Lawler gave Andy Kaufman cancer and he's dead the next month. By the way, when Jimmy Hart goes, he's got cancer, baby, the audience erupts. And the only thing I could say is thank God they were in a studio and not in the Mid-South Coliseum because I don't think I could be very comfortable seeing, you know, thousands of people being like, yay, cancer. But there's hundreds of people in a room going, yay, he got cancer. You know, they interviewed Jerry Lawler about it on TV after he dies and all he said was like, why do people keep asking me? I didn't like the guy. You want to talk to someone, talk to someone who's nice things to say about him. He's died. It's tragic. You don't need me saying bad stuff about him, which I guess is fine, but wrestling couldn't help itself and kind of double dipping a little bit with Andy Kaufman, because if anyone knew that Andy was seriously sick, it was actually the wrestlers. Yeah. Those are the people who I think understood what was going on the most, but what a, like, you know, Blink and you'll miss it. You know, it, life is short. Mm-hmm. If there's anything to learn from the Andy Kaufman story in wrestling, that is most certainly it. But like Jerry, after Andy died, Jerry kept shtum about their interactions, everything. He kind of kept a lid on it. It was only until very many years later, it was around the time Man the Moon was being made, where Jerry finally came out and started talking about Andy. And the reason why Jerry started doing that is because he was so pissed off with how Jim Carrey was acting on the set. Really? And that's maybe the only thing I do want to talk about man on the moon like having been through the story of andy and mm. his re- involvement in wrestling i'm not sure how the movie gels with you now knowing a bit more if there's anything that kind of sticks out or anything for you about that well before i even knew anything about andy kaufman when i watched the movie my first takeaway was this feels very egotistical for jim carrey and i don't really like jim carrey to be honest so i think maybe i was slightly tainted in the first place and this is kind of like not egotistical in the sense that like andy kaufman gets to do his own project and do whatever he wants this is kind of jim carrey getting to do the project that he wants you know exactly it just feels selfish yeah it feels very much like it's it's about him and not really anything about andy like it feels like he's playing like a silly character who he doesn't really understand and he kind of is almost it feels like he's almost making fun of him in a way and it's just like i don't know i was thinking about this a lot recently and i just feel that someone like jim carrey is the worst possible choice because he's already a very unique comedian who's known for his own styles yeah and i just feel like you know with a subject matter like this you need a proper character actor you need someone who's going to actually take it really seriously you say and- character actor there now uh, mm. that the idea of acting in character, you and I are big fans of Succession and it's mm. obviously big, big news all throughout late 2021 and kind of the discussion has opened up again it happened a few years ago when Daniel Day-Lewis announced his retirement from acting. You mean you know, method acting? Method acting. You know, when people are kind of, I'm not just playing a character, I'm going to become mm. the character or if it's the case of you playing a real life person, I'm going to become the real life person. Now that's obviously... There's obvious parallels for that in wrestling, but I don't think wrestlers ever, I don't know, maybe Scott Steider in WCW a little bit, but uh, like Jeremy Strong, that kind of method acting that's been in, in the news, that's something I think that Jim Carrey did in this movie. Well, kind of, but also not really. That's the thing. So I personally hate method acting. I think it's really like lazy. Why, why, why do you mean that like lazy? Because I mean, you know, I could, I, I, for me, I'm kind of, 
I don't know what to make of method acting because some of my favorite actors use that technique. Mm. But I also hear some of the stories. Like I read that entire New Yorker piece on Jeremy Strong and I was kind of like, I was cringing through it going like, oh my fucking God. Like, and he's you know? not even that bad. No, the scale that's of method it. acting, he's very reasonable and he doesn't take it super seriously. And you know what? If he heard me saying that, he'd probably be very upset and be like, what do you mean? I take it really seriously. I'm what? I'm terribly obnoxious <laughs> actually and, and everyone should hate me. Yeah. He was upset with how not upset people were yeah, in that yeah. interview. But um. I can accept the fact that method acting is a very real art form and it's taken very seriously. And there are schools, especially in America, acting schools, where they teach the method acting principles. Mm. And it very much has its own background, its own history, its own scheme, techniques. It's, it's, it's a relatively new technique in mainstream, you know, I would yeah. say. Because, you know, I would say it's only something that from the 70s onwards, there's the big Hollywood stars who were known you know, people like Al Pacino and stuff like that who would go deep in and just mm. immerse themselves in this role. Yeah. I think there's one thing doing it for a character. When you're doing it as a person, a real-life person, and also someone where there's a degree of mystery about Andy Kaufman, still to this day with everything that's said and written about him, there, and in spite of The Man in the Moon, there is still a great degree of mystery about him. But there, there was this documentary that came out about his performance and everything that happened because there have been rumblings over the years and I, I remember when I was reviewing season one of the Adshare podcast you know Jerry Lawler on commentary when Man in the Moon is coming out he's like I'm watching Carrie to show up on Monday Night Raw and I'm gonna fucking pile drive him because he's gonna hate him show up if you dare because he's so incensed about how he acted on this movie so with regards to method acting that's not what Jim Carrey was doing because right. he's not qualified to do that method acting requires it's got boundaries and restrictions right. and it requires an element of research and also an understanding that you don't try and impersonate the person. Mm. You try and almost like, you know, become a version of themselves. And Jim Carrey is not a qualified enough actor. He's not talented enough to be a method actor. You know, it takes a huge amount of responsibility, I think. And you see people do it very badly, like Jared Leto. Mm. And I think he's on the, the more amateur scale of method acting. Right, you know, yeah. Compared to the Daniel Day-Lewis's, who yeah, took yeah. it you know, much more seriously. And I just don't think Jim Carrey was ever in a place to be even pretending like that's what he was doing. And that's not even what he was doing, because as far as Jim Carrey is concerned, he became Andy Kaufman, and that's not what method acting is. There's a couple of instances that happened on the set. There was, I believe, because Jim Ross has talked about this, because he was also in the movie, and uh, Jimmy Hart actually was, was, was lined up to be involved in the movie and play himself, because much like Jerry Lawler looked exactly the same as he did in the mm -hmm. 80s, but WCW wouldn't let... The, you know, one of their guys be on the on screen with the WWE guys, which is absolutely ridiculous when you think about it. But uh, Jerry and JR had both said that there was issues when they were filming the, the actual wrestling scenes that he would keep people waiting for ages or like after they did the move, he pretended to be hurt. And, you know, it's all mm. oh, like Andy would do if he was making a movie about himself. But there was like, there was one story that Lawler told, I think it was on Austin's podcast, and like he showed up first day on set, you know, he had the script learned, you know, all memorized, ready to go, excited to be here in Paramount Studios. Wow. And all of a sudden he hears this like glass break and like shards of glass brush up against him and wet. And there's Jim Carrey dressed up in the full Andy Kaufman gear, throwing full glass bottles of soda. I'm going, I'm going to get you, Lawler. 
And like Jerry was just so incensed because it's like you don't know this guy. Yeah. I know this guy. And mm-hmm. if you knew this guy, you'd know that Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler never did this. Mm-hmm. And this is why he went out and he's like, Yeah, actually, me and Andy were great friends. We talked, we we collaborated. He loved wrestling. I loved his stuff. He loved my stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he was very like he kind of went above and beyond to do that. And like Jerry Lawler is one thing. You know, he was a a blip in Andy Kaufman's life. Andy Kaufman had a daughter that he didn't know existed. And she was brought to the set of Man in the Moon to meet Jim Carrey when Jim was being Andy Kaufman. Because Jim took, you know, the transcendental meditation and he took the the spirituality side that he genuinely believed that he was being a vessel for the spirit of Andy Kaufman. And he met that young girl and the young girl was basically told, do you want to go meet your dad now? And here's Jim Carrey dressed up as Andy Kaufman having that moment stealing it out of a fucking man's yeah. you know grave basically yeah he and wanted what andy didn't even have that is so fucked up yeah it is like that is something that would like as fucked up as wrestling is i could never think of a point in wrestling where someone would be like i'm going to become someone else and steal the life they never had and fuck that that's that's what i'm talking about the responsibility of method acting is that a true method actor would never ever do that because they understand that the point of method acting is to to understand the character they are being and becoming. And they do that by years of research. Like they actually spend time like living as that person to understand them, not just for the sake of like getting some laughs and, you know, impressing someone who the person wants new or to get themselves over. They do it so that they, they personally can understand the subject matter. I think that, you know, the, the, the amateurish big names who decide to dip their toe into method acting would be best served to actually study a bit of wrestling instead. Mm. And like, here's how you safely maybe blur those lines without just going like weird about it, you know? Well, and it just, it should be about the research, really. It's not about you as a performer. It's about the person you are becoming. And it just felt like... That's Jim, disrespectful to Andy's legacy, I It think, is. Like, Jim you know? Carrey just was like, oh, wouldn't it be fun if, like, I got to pretend to be Andy Kaufman for a while as though Andy Kaufman's some silly hat he can put on and take off again? And that's not that's not what acting is, and it's certainly not what method acting is. So he's just like, he's not taking it seriously. It's like, it's just one of those things where I think that there's people who feel they're very well-intentioned and they're doing something because they think that they're in touch with their spiritual side. Yeah, I think and Jim Carrey like, sees himself as a kindred spirit to Andy. Yeah, but I think, like... Just because you've thought about it and you've meditated on it mm. doesn't mean it's right. Like, I think something that I, I, I forgot to mention was that, you know, transcendental meditation, which is, you know, I'll, I'll say about it is that it's a controversial practice in its own right if you do enough, if you do enough research. But I'm not going to begrudge anyone who, who meditates or does transcendental meditation if it gives them peace. You know, whatever gives you peace, whatever, fine. But, you know, they pretty much ostracized him from that, that community, you mm. know, and, you know, this was meant to be this place that is, you know, loving and very opening and very understanding and all that. And when he started wrestling women, they're like, you're bringing hate and ugliness into the world. He was kind of cast aside from that. And it's kind of feel like, you know, on the same token, Jim Carrey thinking that he's doing something very spiritual and very nourishing. It's like, you're actually just fucking over the guy that you're meant to be here helping. You're meant to be honoring him, you know? He's just projecting his own opinions of what this guy was like without actually taking the care to find out like if his first reaction when he meets someone who you know worked with this person is to go hey, hey, hey time to get myself over as andy kaufman rather or time than to put on his skin suit and yeah, meet his family put on my kaufman silly hat hey, 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 
yeah instead of going up to him and going wow you knew him like actually you knew him and worked with him it's tell me wow tell me i everything. am him isn't that amazing that's the thing it's, like, it's so arrogant it's, it's like the idea that of course of course it's more important for me to become andy kaufman than for me to learn about him i think man in the moon I will always consider it a really important movie, one that's very special in my heart, simply because it introduced me to this figure. And also, at a point in time where I didn't realise, you know, a lot about the history of wrestling, show me this element of wrestling. This, you know, you want to talk about the history of sports entertainment and where celebrities and wrestling came from? Long before Vince McMahon was promoting the WrestleMania, this was what it was about. I'll always be thankful for that movie for, for showing that to me. What I will say about anyone who's interested in the career of Andy Kaufman and the history of celebrity involvement in wrestling vis-a-vis Andy Kaufman, there is so much amazing stuff out there. You know, you would think that Memphis, because it's not on the WWE Network, that it's somehow lost. You can find pretty much every single segment. There's hours of footage of Andy Kaufman in Memphis. It's all there. The documentary is awesome. I'm from Hollywood. It's a brief watch. We'll link to it in the recommended bonus viewing on the website. But honestly, there's great stuff out there. And we can only implore you, if you want to know more, look further than that kind of tainted semen performance at this point now. I mean, it's a fun movie. Absolutely. But it's not... There's There's, like... I thought going into this, well, I know the broad strokes, I've seen this, that, and the other. Mm. Man, honestly, I had so much fun watching Andy's stuff in Memphis. Mm. And, like, all I want to do now is go back and watch some of it again. Like, I, I, if someone, you know, if there's more out there, I'm going to try and find it. But I had an absolute blast talking about Andy Kaufman. We're at the end of our journey now with Andy and, and wrestling and, and Memphis and all that. Like, what do you think his ultimate, like, what did you think he wanted to get out of it? And do you think he was successful? Do you think Andy got out of the wrestling business what he intended to? If we could even guess what his true intentions were. So that was a question I asked Minnie Milana about as well, because I was very interested in, like, what creatively influenced him and mm. why he did what he did with the wrestling world. Like, obviously, he was a wrestling fan, but, like, he obviously, like, he was such an innovator and he had such big, bold, new ideas that hadn't been done before, that obviously there was more to it than just him being a fan of the industry. Like, he he had ideas beyond that. And they told me that Andy, in a way, never really grew up. That yeah. he was basically an adult kid. Mm. And part of that was that he loved playing. And he loved playing with people's emotions and the idea of people's re- like personal realities. Mm. And that he started funneling that into comedy with his weird performances and people not knowing what to think of him and stuff like that. But wrestling was always his like his one true love because he knew, he could see immediately that there was this world where you had complete control. The full palette of emotions. Exactly, not just, you yeah. know, yeah. Because, you know... No matter what he did, if he's making people boo him in comedy, mm. people are going to say, "Well, you've done, you're not done your job well there." Even though there's a bigger performance of play, you know, any of those emotions, as long as you get an emotion, it's valid in wrestling, isn't it? Exactly, you know? yeah. And I think the fact that you know part of it was performance, and people, the fans are aware that it's a poor performance, but also similarly, part of it is real, and for the fans, some of it is genuinely real, especially in the seventies. And I think the other thing that he really liked and he was very interested in was the idea of, and this is again so wrestling, the idea of a good character versus a bad character Mm. and what makes someone a good character or a bad character and how how that is interpreted by different people. I think like he is... You know, he's he's an innovator in that sense because I think he was kind of thinking outside the box, you know, in, in that... 
you know, man, it's probably he realized watching all those years that the thing that people want to see most was some fucking overnight sensation, some pipsqueak celebrity come up and get his fucking ass kicked. That's yeah. you know, that's what people wanted to see. But he found such a drawn out roller coaster way to get you to that. You know, he ultimately got to the simple point. You want to see the the loudmouth get his, mm. you know. But man, he took us on a ride to get there. I think that only in wrestling could you have that breadth of emotional feeling. Like, because there was times that we were watching stuff with Andy where I was like, just like my head in my hands. Like, it was like fucking hell. This is horrible. Like, some of the stuff he did is objectively to this day is horrible. And that's the thing. Like, I think, and I, I mean this in the nicest way. I think Andy Kaufman is quite a selfish performer, mm. and I do mean that actually as a compliment rather than when I was saying Jim Carrey was a selfish performer <laughs> because what Andy was doing was so original that because it was selfish, because he was doing it for him, you know, in the way that Frank Zappa would make music for him. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. care about what other people think. It's for him. And that's really all that should matter. And this Andy was the same way in that he just wanted to do what he found fun, what he found enjoyable, and what he found interesting. And I think because he was selfish in his creativity, that's what enabled him to be so unique. And I think, you know, nowadays you are very discouraged from being selfish. You, yeah. you know, especially in comedy, you should be making comedy that people, mainstream people like. And especially in, in wrestling as well. Absolutely, yeah. You, you know? should not be controversial. You should not, you know, if you're being selfish and you're doing something for you, well, that's not marketable. That's not the brand. Yeah, exactly. Kind of either, either has to be like, we're all in this together or don't you dare speak up because you'll yeah. be released. <laughs> it's very anti-risk. Yeah. Which is basically everything, you know, that goes against everything Andy pretty much believed in. I think, you know, he was told early on, don't get into wrestling. And that's pretty much when he decided, actually, I'm going to get into wrestling. Yeah. Uh, without jumping off any ladders or setting fire to anything or being anywhere near ECW or Philadelphia in the 90s, this was probably the most risk-prone character we've ever talked about <laughs> in wrestling. Let's have a look at some of your tweets and some of your Facebook messages. Hey, and we're back. I just want to give a shout out to uh, Neil Fresco, who emailed in some fabulous recommendations it's how we got in touch with the documentary and the short movie and all that and uh yeah a big shout out. there's probably too many names to, to to mention but a lot of extra help was needed because memphis ain't my jam baby but oh boy i'm interested to learn more so maybe we'll return down south when we do uh some other characters from wrestling how to tagar the volcano god is coming mm, up next is what i'm basically yeah. saying to you so joe we got some tweets in from the fine folks using the hashtag how to andy kaufman don't forget follow us on twitter at how to wrestling first up from fizz versus the world quite possibly the most important non-wrestler in the history of wrestling every modern worked shoot owes a little to his work with jerry lawler yeah you see you guys in the 80s you had jerry lawler and andy kaufman on david letterman but the kids today they got adam cole on the pat mcafee show baby and it's just you know what that it still works though doesn't it because when that happened people thought that was a shoot for real, you know? Yeah. And then they got a little bit of business out of it, mm. you know? So I, I honestly, I was thinking the other day, like there could never be another Andy Kaufman. And obviously there can't be in, in comedy or in wrestling. The world is too different. Mm. But is there space for a disruptor? I'm not saying it's fucking Pat McAfee. Keep him on commentary. He, he's, he's actually quite good at it if you listen to our Patreon reviews. But I do think there is, is space for, for someone like that to come in and, you know, work a shoot and shake things up. I, I do think it can happen seems to be the right celebrity i don't know who it is it ain't logan paul that's all i know <laughs> i just worry that anyone doing it now would be playing too much of a character yeah. because the type of people who are authentically weird enough tend to get kind of pushed out of the industry mm, you know it's not true. kind to people who are different yeah 
I think though definitely, you know, I, I, I would look in the top down perspective of history now, and I always think, you know, first WrestleMania, that's that's the moment of like, you know, celebrity wrestling mainstream. I honestly I start to think now it wouldn't be as widespread like I, I don't think it would have had as widespread an effect the concept of WrestleMania and sports entertainment had this not happened. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think this yeah. laid the groundwork. Mm-hmm. If even to make people in New York go, oh, that wrestling down south, that's so that's so kitschy and so so ridiculous. Mm. But what Vince McMahon is offering us here with Hulk Hogan and Mr. T, that's the real deal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Next up from Darren Gamble fifty four. I've always liked him as a troll comedian. Like the time he mimed to the Mighty Mouse theme or read The Great Gatsby to a crowd who just wanted him to do his taxi character and again troll comedian i mean that is yeah. basically being a heel in yeah. wrestling like it's it's the same thing if i would give advice to anyone who's listening who's interested in doing stand-up because when me and billy and sam used to run the stand-up society in the university of lincoln we saw so many people go up and be like i'm gonna do the troll comedian mm. thing Oh boy, we saw a lot of heartbroken 19-year-olds that year, so I'll say it. But like, it reminds me of like, you know, someone like MJF, who I think tries so hard to be edgy mm. and play an edgy character that he hasn't taken the time to understand his audience and and manipulate his audience in a way that Andy was so fascinated by. Like, Andy, yeah. Andy doesn't care about, like, offending people. He cares about what offends people and why. Yeah. <laughs> and how to get those reactions out of people and then how to change those reactions and temper them and, like, pull the rug out from under them. Whereas MJF just wants to say horrid shit as much as possible to make people tweet at him well look uh, we know if he's listened to the episode taking the advice of his next promo he's like I'm better than you and you (laughs) it could work it could get over brother (laughs) next up from C. Cole Writings outside of wrestling Tim and Eric would likely not exist without him the Eric Andre the Eric Andre show 100% would not exist without him in fact modern cringe humour existing in the form that it does it does in large part because of Andy Kaufman. Basically, I'd be laughing a lot less in my day-to-day life. It would not be for, for Andy Kaufman. Mm-hmm. I think we mentioned before, we, 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 we hypothesized about celebs and wrestling we'd like to see. I think Eric Andre feels like some wrestling company has to figure out how to make that guy fit into a wrestling show. Yeah, At definitely. some point, someone has to do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to see it the other way around. I'd like to see a wrestler enter Hollywood, and I want to see it with someone like Chris Jericho. Oh, yeah, Jericho actually was on the Eric Andre show, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was gonna say. But I, I mean more than that. I mean... Why not get Chris Jericho uh, like a, a named part in a drama series or something or like a comedy series where he kind of plays a version of himself? Like wrestling, I think, needs to do more. You know, we've, way, like, yeah, the yeah. other way. Like yeah. so much of the mainstream culture has penetrated wrestling and now it's time, I think, for wrestling to give back. I think it's time for a wrestler to enter something like Big Brother or The Real World in, yeah. in character yeah. and never break it. Like, that would be you know? amazing, yeah. <laughs> That's what I see MJF do. That, yes! If he's going to fucking prove he's as good a heel as he is, <laughs> keep that shtick up in a locked house full of other celebrities. Yeah, if you're going to prove you're as good as The Miz as people say you are... Enter the real world, man. Yeah. I dare you. I fucking double dare you, I MJF. do dare you. Get real in the real world, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Last up now from Left Libertine 36. My dad was working in a bar in Athens that booked Kaufman. Oh, baby. Whoever did the booking was behind the times, though, and thought that he'd be doing stand-up. Instead, he poured drinks on people and challenged women to fights. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that has been certainly if if this podcast has ever had a palate cleanser and something very different and strange, I think Andy Kaufman has been the sharp lemon sorbet for mm. uh, for for the recent times and the recent episodes we've done. I have been absolutely blown away by this stuff. I love it. I think the the history of this is so fascinating and even though so much of Andy's career comedy wise is kind of there's lost footage and some of it is lost to the to the sands of time and all that again it can't be stated almost everything you could ever want to see with Andy Kaufman in wrestling it's it's been up on YouTube for for years and looks like it's floating around on the internet it's there you can find it and I implore you all to go and watch it if you want to see some truly brilliant comedic heel work and Jerry Lawler constantly having the, the rug pulled out from underneath him and be made to look a fool that that I can do with more of in my day to day life oh yes please more <laughs> of that well would you believe they put a man on the moon but would you believe that our next episode is going to be quite a big one Joe and I think one that you're going to be very very excited about because you like amazing fast paced high flying wrestlers who can do all sorts and blow your mind with their technical prowess but I know you also like a good character and someone who can elicit those emotions be they comedic be they uh, be they other you know what else I like what's that a hunk you like a hunk I love a hunk Jesus Christ well our next episode not only are they a hunk they lie they cheat they steal our next episode is going to be at the one and only the legendary Eddie Guerrero and I am so goddamn excited for this he is honestly one of my all-time favorite wrestlers and someone who has barely shown up on this podcast it feels like he's been on one or two episodes here and there but unlike some people like Shawn Michaels you've kind of seen a few matches of I think Eddie Guerrero you're watching him is still pretty pretty light I feel I've seen one or maybe two matches of his oh what do you know about him like at the not much. Not I know. Much. I know he was good friends with China. Yeah. I know he's like considered probably the most influential wrestler of all time. Wow. In terms of the number of wrestlers who look to him as both character and athletic influence. I mean, he's he's referenced constantly in in wrestling, and mm-hmm. for for very good reason. We're going to be talking about the legend of Eddie Guerrero, his his legacy, his career, the life and times of Eddie Guerrero in WCW, in Japan and Mexico, ECW, and his many runs in WWE as well. It is a tale where there will be some highs and there'll be some lows. It may be a difficult episode in some respects, but I do very much want this to be a celebration of the life of and the career of Eddie Guerrero. And folks, I am after the best promos. I'm after the very best matches bonus points if it includes anyone that Joe has seen in an episode previously so a Kurt Angle maybe or something like that maybe. who knows what we might do we're going to see some very good wrestling matches and hopefully ones as well that not just show his technical prowess but also some of the character work and the comedy that he brought into his game later in his career I'm very excited for this one I think you are as well at home so use the hashtag #HowToEddieGuerrero. it's going to be probably one of our biggest episodes that we've ever done just in terms of the topic at large and there's so much to talk about so we're very excited to hear all of your thoughts using the hashtag #HowToEddieGuerrero. Make sure you check it out on Twitter. Use the hashtag so the best tweets will be read out on the episode. Or head over to facebook.com forward slash HowToWrestling. Leave us a nice comment. There will be a post there to leave your long form thoughts. 
Joe, thank you very much for bearing with me from when I first gave you an intergender wrestling champion t-shirt mm. all the way through now. Eight years. Eight years later. Did you know what you're in for when you put on that sunny yellow t-shirt all those years ago? No, I had no idea. I thought I was just sleeping over for the night. <laughs> excited about the next episode? Very excited. I'm. Yeah, I feel like Eddie Guerrero is such a large part of of wrestling and the fact that I know so little about him yeah it just feels like really important it feels like I'm gonna get a big chunk of the pie yeah I feel like there's a lot of times now where folks when they have followed you in your journey through all these years and all the episodes and like you're kind of like, I think people who listen might even know your tastes better than oh, you or yeah, I do definitely so like I get people going like oh once you do this episode move over Bret Hart new favourite fucking wrestler oh <laughs> really well Bret Hart did recently go into NFT so I have got an opening for a new favourite <laughs> well until next time where we're going to be discussing a potential new fave it's a goodbye from me Kevin and a goodbye from me Joe and we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling see ya